I doubt if there is any problem, social, political, or economic, that would not melt away before the fire of such a spiritual undertaking. Um, so we're back again after a hiatus for two weeks for unknown reasons, but that we know perfectly well why we didn't, but now we are back. Um, and by the way, the Denver Broncos traded away a first round draft pick this year and a second round draft pick next year for a coach, just for Sean Payton. It's <laughs> <laughs> crazy, man. It's yep. crazy. Just for a coach. Yeah, yeah. What a, what a, what a, what a shot. Um, what a, what, I mean, I think they, I think it's a good move. I think it's a good move. Um, crazy football weekend, by the way, crazy. So were the refs in the tank for us, for the chiefs? I don't think so, but that is what people are saying today. And I think it's a bit, I think it's a bit too much, but um, yeah, I mean, like it was a bad weekend for the zebras though. Let me tell you, like it was, it was like, they did not like the weird thing. I've never seen anything like it in the chiefs game when the refs comes running on from the sideline and then like nobody hears him and then the play goes forward and then they decide nobody heard this ref. Nobody saw him like, all the chiefs are like there's no chief player who after the play is like pointing at like no 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 i wasn't playing because i saw the ref like no they all walk off the field and then it's only like like the paid per view official review right we're like oh i've never seen anything like that where they like they redid a third down yep and then they got a first down on a holding penalty on since i mean it was just like uh, i couldn't believe it i could not believe it and so even if, you know, you want to say that ref had the right call to stop the play because the clock was right, running, right, right. That's still the time judge is still messing up in, right, right. in that game. Like still the official, that's still an official messing up the clock. Right, right, right. I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen anything like it. And then the last call where Kansas City got, went, it went from a 60-yard field goal to a 45-yard field goal. That was that was probably technically was close week. Yeah, it was weak. Yeah, it was technically a correct call, but 20 or 30 years ago, that NFL. Oh, oh, yeah. 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 No, that, no, that would no, not like no. there was this advertisement for football, like in the 70s or 80s. And it shows at least five like high penalties of like, pull, like straight on pulling the dude down by his face mask and stuff. And <laughs> yeah, this is advertising yeah. the NFL and they yeah, all would have yeah. been personal fouls. Like, and they're yeah. just like, this is the NFL. It's like, all right, this is. This is like we have we have fallen. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I'm not the one getting a concussion. So, I mean, I can say, right. but it just looked more interesting. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, it's a different game. Tom Brady single handedly changed the game. I mean, in a very real way. I mean, Tom Brady, I should say Tom Brady and Peyton Manning, I think, but mostly Tom Brady, because I think that like when Tom Brady got that ACL injury back in like, what was that, 07 or 08? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Right um, like he, like it's so like it was it, it just I think it just Hurt the NFL just saw like so bad. well and the NFL just saw what happens like to their ratings when you don't have the best quarterback in the game sure. just like going after it right yeah. so I think that um yeah, it was like so the, it was even kind of like it wasn't even like necessarily a dirty hit the guy just like, no kind of no accidentally hit him in the knee and it wasn't mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm. As far as I remember, it was a long time ago, but it didn't seem like it was a malicious, like, here we go, head hunting, like huh, Sean Payton. Um, right, right. <laughs> trying to take out um, the, you know, the best player. 
there. So yeah, I uh, mean, the quarterback who took over for Brady that year, then they almost actually Matt got Castle. They went 10 and six and almost made the playoffs. Yeah. It was crazy. Yeah. Matt Castle. And I remember, I remember the highlights because they were nine and six mm-hmm. and they needed to win and another team to lose in order to go to the playoffs. And I remember Matt Castle, like at the very end of that game, scrambling and trying to find Randy Moss. And he like throws a dart to Randy Moss in the corner of the end zone in the front corner of the end zone, throws this dart to Randy Moss. They won the game. And then the other team won the game too. So they didn't go to the playoffs. So it's just like, and I remember thinking like, man, that that's like almost not fair. It's like, yeah, it's, yeah, it just seems, inco- it just seems in, in, you know, inconceivable that, that the Patriots would. Wasn't that also the year after the Patriots almost went undefeated? Uh, and lost the Super Bowl to Eli Manning. Yeah, actually, I think that I was the year because everyone was just like, "Oh, they're going to yeah. bring it back together." And then Brady got injured, like in the first or in, week one. Week one, oh, I think. One. I think it was week one. I think it was week one. Yeah. Um, well, it's interesting. It's funny because the Patriots. Everybody hated the Patriots for so long because they were so dominant. But sure. then all of a sudden, I didn't realize this. We were watching the game the night at the seminary, and uh, one of the guys here is a big Chiefs fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of guys here are big Chiefs fans who are from out there. Mm-hmm. Originally, they're born out there, but now they're some of them are in diocese out here. Uh, oh, good luck. On, so, good luck on Super Bowl Sunday. Well, here's the block. Right, right, right. So, well, so one guy who's Kansas City fan, he told me he said this is the fifth AFC Championship in a row at Arrowhead. Whoa. Really? And I was like, what? Like, is, yeah, this that's is the fifth chapter for that unlucky man. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> championship games. So they've been to. So this is their fifth. So and they won. So that means that they've gone to the AFC Championship game. Not only gone, hosted the AFC Championship game five years in a row. Wow! And they've gone to the Super Bowl three of those five. They've won three of those five games. Really? Um, huh. Yeah, they lost to Cincinnati last year. No, nope. and oh, then yeah. they lost to. Uh, and the year before they won, and they lost to the Bucks in the Super Bowl. Who did they lose to? Didn't then they, they the year the before season? that, they won this. They, the year before that, they won, and then they beat the 49ers in the Super Bowl. Oh, okay. The 49ers have been to three of four NFC Championship games in the past four years. Yep. Um, and then who is who did the 49? Who did the Chiefs lose to five years ago? Because Mahomes was not the quarterback; it was Alex Smith, I think, who was the quarterback five years ago. Let's see. Um, so, yeah, I can't, I can't remember, um, but Indianapolis, no, no, in the AFC championship game, it would have been somebody who went to the Super Bowl because they oh, didn't well, go, they lost to Indianapolis before the champion in the divisional round. Oh, so this is only the, this is only the fourth yeah. year in a row they posted at Arrowhead then. Yeah. You're talking, you're talking to a Homer. Okay, yeah, some guy who's remember adding an extra number on there. I think so. Okay. In 2017, they played Indianapolis in the division and lost. Okay, what about 2018? Let's see. Uh, everybody yeah, who's listening is like I'm not cutting. Yeah, they're just they, uh, yeah, they're yelling at their all five of them are yelling at their like they lost to the <laughs> Patriots in the division. That's what it is. So they lost to the Patriots. That's right. They lost to the Patriots in overtime. Mm-hmm. In fact, yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. Okay. 
So they lost to the Patriots in overtime. Then the next year they won the Super Bowl. Then the next year they lost the Super Bowl. Then the next year they um, lost to the no beat uh, went to the Super Bowl. No, no, they lost to the Bengals, and then this year they won. So that is five actually. Yeah, oh, that's so nuts. That's who, so nuts. Who do you guys have winning the Super Bowl? I actually think Philly is going to win. Really? I think Philly. Yeah, because I think that. Philly's D line is so dominant, and Mahomes, the ankle's just not there yet. He's still limping around a little bit. Yeah. We'll see, but I think I think that if, I think I think it's going to be a really really close game, and then I think in like the fourth quarter, Philly's going to end up winning by like two touchdowns. Okay. How much property damage over under do you have in Philadelphia? Yeah, I mean you should have seen the video. Whether they the win or whether they lose, yeah. <laughs> I mean, stuff was on fire the other night when they won. So, really? I mean, there was there was people dancing on the roof of a bus stop, and the bus stop collapsed. That was nuts. Find video of that online. Um, Philadelphia is a menace to society. It is a crazy city, dude. It's a crazy city. You guys see the clip of the priests singing their fight song in mass? Yes. No. No. I. I. I we heard. Yes. Yes. Yeah, it was very yes. Who's a uh, diocese? He's in the Philly diocese. No, no, yeah, it was Archdiocese of Philadelphia. Yeah, so uh, the seminarians. The seminarians. I can't remember who Did it is, but I remember him. Yeah, a bunch of the seminarians know him. Yeah. What was their yeah. reaction? What was their the reaction? Was big eye roll, big eye roll. Like, oh my gosh! Like, now a couple of Philly guys were to yank my chain specifically. They were like, oh, totally liturgically appropriate. Like, this is very, <laughs> <laughs> like, very much a liturgical song. Totally, definitely, uh, definitely what uh, what was called for. And I was like, I was like, I'm the god of the god of peace really instructed followers <laughs> to destroy like you know bus stops. That's that's totally on par with the god of. Uh, yeah, that, uh, that totally makes sense. No, it actually, sounds like Antichrist to me. That's what it literally <laughs> sounds like the forces of evil. <laughs> I think they should discern out if they're listening. I'm just kidding. No, no, no. These are good. Well, some of them are in my class, so they're getting ordained priests. So, okay. Um, I'm the deacon for one of their first masses. So, that lets, oh, then you, the... what you should do, you should have them play the Eagles song and be like, oh, oh well, you told me this was liturgically, you told me this was liturgically oh, appropriate. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I remember you telling me this is fine. What are you upset about? <laughs> it wouldn't bother me so much if it didn't make it to Sports Center. Oh, did it make it to Sports Center? Yeah. Oh. yeah. That's that's the scandal of it. That I mean, if it was just kind of making the rounds on like Catholic Twitter and people were like, no, but like oh. millions of people saw it on Sports Center. Oh. Yeah. That makes me very, very, very upset. Yeah. That's what you No, I, I heard about it. Like I like I heard about it within an hour of when it happened. Oh, really? Was that yeah. your set? No, no, no. <laughs> was like, you were uh, just like I was singing along. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 uh, no. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, they uh, anyway, anyway. So I heard about it before it ever hit Sports Center because the seminarians from Philadelphia had heard about it. Right, like people had texted them about it. So I had no idea it hit Sports Center until you just told me. <sighs> Anyway, <laughs> world moves on. Here we go. World moves on. Speaking of, so, and we will move on. Thomas, I want to hear about this. So my first question, Thomas, okay. we were talking about this earlier, this person named Merlin. Is this mm-hmm. the same, like, are we supposed to, com- is this the Arthurian 
So, like, okay. So Merlin, is, or is this a totally different guy? This is what's really hard about to figure out about Merlin is okay. Merlin. Like you think of him and he's like prototype Gandalf kind of thing. Yeah. Like big beard, weird pointy head. He's like stereotypical. Yeah. He's, he's, right. he, as Carl Jung might say, he's the embodiment of a, of a wizard of a man. <laughs> he kind of tells you things what you need to do. No, I mean, so like, so there's weird is that there's like, there's several different Welsh traditions about Merlin. Right. Mm-hmm. One of them is that he's a warrior and he's fighting with a Welsh king in this battle in the 500s and goes insane after the battle because he sees some of his brothers die and then is like a wild man in the woods. So he kind of like fills that prototype of like Epic of Gilgamesh kind of mm-hmm. thing. Okay. Um, and so that's one tradition. And then there's another tradition of this other guy named Merlin who ends up assisting kings and giving them advice. And that's tip. And so what happens is as these traditions develop, the one who assists kings is called Merlin Ambrosius or Merlin Ambrose. And the one who's in the woods is starts to be called Merlin Sylvester. So, or right. Sylvester is Merlin of the woods. So both of them, both of oh, these God. legends. Okay, yeah. yeah. Latin, Latin. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> what's wait, what's the, what's Spanish for forest? Uh, oh my gosh. No oh, say. Doesn't matter. Um, anyway, so both of these Gregory of Monmouth, who's a 12th century cleric in Britain, he ends up writing this thing called the history of Britain. Or like the Royal History of Britain. And in it, one of the characters is Merlin. And he kind of sews both of these literary traditions together into one composite figure called Merlin. Um, And so, but Merlin, and it starts off because this one king, King Vortinger or something, whatever his name is, something British, I don't know, I don't care, um, can't build this tower. And he continued to can't build this tower because it keeps on falling down. And so his magicians say, you know what you need to do is you need to find a kid who doesn't have a dad or if he doesn't know who his dad is and you kill him and you use his blood and you mix it up with the cement and then you build the tower and then it will be fine. And so apparently there's this like eight-year-old or whatever his age is, this adolescent named Merlin who doesn't know who the heck his dad is because his mom, who is a nun, was impregnated by an incubus, by a demon. In the middle of the night and she doesn't know who her, who the dad is and so he doesn't know who his dad is and so the king grabs him says i'm gonna kill you and he's like no actually the real reason why you can't build this is because there's two dragons that are underneath in a cave mm-hmm. and so look underneath the cave and they find two dragons and the dragons start fighting and one is red and one is white and it's supposed to represent the saxons invading england and it's says, got long, it got it blah blah blah, blah. okay so that's kind of like the whole basis for the Arthurian cycle. Then it jumps the channel and the French Frenchify it by making the chanson de jest or whatever it is by Chetien de Trois. And so you have some of them, Robert of Barbon, the one, or Barbon or however you say his name, it's French, it doesn't matter. Um, he has this long, long story about after, not a long story, a short story after he, um, after Christ goes through the harrowing of hell, it like cut scenes back to the demons right after the harrowing of hell and they're all just kind of sitting there going like okay what are we gonna do now like this jerk just came through and messed up all of our plans and we've he's ruined everything like what are we gonna do and it's like this literally like this little mini council of demons hanging out and they're just like what are we gonna do about this and one of them is going well you know what we could do is we could make a prophet who is just as smart as jesus and leads people astray 
And they're like, oh, that's a great idea. Let's do that. And they're like, okay, so how are we going to do this? Like, we need to get someone who's like really wily and smart. And they come up with the conclusion. One of the teams like, well, I have a woman who's under kind of my possession, so I can manipulate her and her daughters. And also I'm an incubus. So that means I can impregnate women. And they're like, oh, this sounds like a great idea. Let's make ourselves an antichrist. And so it's like literally this Job type story where there's this just man, all of his cattle die by this demon. All of his friends start hating him, partially because his wife is in league with this demon. And then the guy ends up kind of just dying for whatever reason, because he's despairing. The first, the oldest daughter, uh, she commits adultery and then gets burned at the stake for it. The second one uh, ends up becoming a prostitute, just kind of like for shits and giggles. Um, And then the last one realizes that her family is under demonic assault. And so she goes to a guy named Blaze and she takes him as like her spiritual advisor. And he Mm -hmm. says, continue to make the sign of the cross every single night before you go to bed and nothing will happen to you. And so that's what she can do. And for a couple of years, she's fine until one night her prostitute sister shows up with all of her pimps and or or whatever and starts making fun of her. Like, oh, you think you're so holy, yada, 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 yada. They start yelling at each other. She's so upset. She goes to bed that she forgets to make the sign of the cross. Mm -hmm. That's when the demon then impregnates her. And she doesn't know it's a demon. She just like knows she's not a virgin anymore. She's just like, Mm -hmm. and so she goes to Blaze and says, yo, this happened. This is crazy. And he's like, okay, it's fine. You know, repent of your sin, which I'm not 100% sure what her sin is. Some people have like, that her yeah. bear that she forgot, didn't make the sign of the cross that night because she was so upset. Right. And it'll be all be fine. So then when Merlin comes out, she shows that she's pregnant. Merlin comes out. And the funny thing is he kind of looks a little bit like a demon because he's incredibly hairy for a little baby. And so she immediately has him baptized and so what Merlin is, is Merlin is actually an antichrist figure that's been interesting. Written. Yeah. So he, so why he's so smart is because he has the demonic power of knowing everything in the past and everything in the present. Okay. Because he's been redeemed by his baptism, by, you know, faith in Christ. Therefore, he also knows knowledge of the future. And so it's this weird redemption arc for Antichrist. It's like hilarious. I love it. Um, And there's a bunch of other funny things because his mom has been locked under prison because they're like, well, who's the dad? And she's like, I really don't know. And she's like, well, how do you not know? He's like, I literally don't know who the dad is. (laughs) You're lying. And we're going to burn you at the stake. And she's sitting there like holding her infant Merlin. And she's just like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to die. And Merlin, who's this little like he's he's like under a year, is just like, don't worry, mother. I'll make sure that you're not burnt at the stake. And she just like, and like drops him. And then he starts screaming because she dropped him. It's like, well, if you felt bad that you got dropped as a child, dear listener, don't worry. Cause Merlin did also. Merlin did too. Yeah. Um, and so it's just, it's this funny story. Cause he's like this little one-year-old and the judge is like, I'm going to throw your mom at the stake. And he's like, no, you're not. And he's like, well, why not? And he's like, cause your mom is worse. And he's like, wait, you, my mom is worse. Like, what do you know about my mom? He's like, I know that she didn't. I know that your dad isn't actually your dad. And he's like, what are you talking about? And he's like, it's actually a priest that she was sleeping with. And he's like, you're lying to me. Well, you know what's going to happen when you go and talk to your mom about this. She's going to go and tell the priest and the priest is going to be so upset that he's going to be worried that you're going to come with all your soldiers. He's going to go drown himself. And when that happens, you're going to believe me. And then literally he goes, he's like, mom, who's my dad? And he's like, it's your dad. He's like, are you sure it's my dad? Because I've got this like infant telling me that it's that it's like a priest. She's like, holy shit. And she goes to the priest. The priest's like, oh, yeah. And then he goes and drowns himself. And the guy's oh, like, oh, no, I, guess I won't. I guess I won't kill. I guess I won't kill your mom now. And he's like, yeah, you better not. <laughs> and again, oh, he's, he's like, he's only gosh. like, one year. so this is like this weird kind of hilarious story that his legal argument for his mom 
in trial as a one-year-old is quite literally your mom. Um, right. <laughs> no, you. <laughs> no, you. <laughs> like, um, oh, your mom is such gosh. a <laughs> um, dude. So Merlin, and so it's Merlin as a figure in British literature throughout mm-hmm. the rest of the Middle Ages and into the Renaissance is as this weird contradiction figure of his mom being a holy woman and his dad being the spiritual mm. and that is part and parcel with all of english literature that's like knowing that darth mm. vader is luke's father and if i spoke yeah that's not my fault it's been out for 50 years all right <laughs> okay how is jesus conceived in the mormon eschatology oh no it's god the father impregnating the blessed virgin how could Joseph Smith not have known that he was pulling on the Merlin saga? He's coming from that tradition. He had to have been pulling from Merlin. He's literally like, I mean, I guess, yeah, like most of Mormonism is retconning like, everything, but right. he's, he's like, he's, he's like, yeah, that's like, that's the deal. Like, I don't, I, I don't know if there's any proof on this at all that Joseph Smith <laughs> is influenced by the legend of Merlin to come up with the idea of how Jesus is born, but the parallels are a little bit too creepily close for it to not be right. I, I mean, I'm not saying that it makes me sound like I'm saying that I am right, but it's mm. a little bit weird. Peter, you're, mm. our, you're our Mormon expert here. Does this sound, in, am I off my rocker? Um, <clears throat> As our resident Mormon, Peter. Oh, <laughs> 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 no, I, I am not that, but I, so my understanding is that early Mormon teaching or, or, or I, I will, um, I, to the best of my knowledge, early LDS teaching was that there was a moment like what is described in this Merlin story where instead of a demon, it is God, the father. And there is like not a spiritual coming together, you know, not it's not just a kind of an immaculate conception, so to speak, but something a, a little more carnal. carnal knowing in some um, capacity. I, I that's kind of my understanding. Now, if you look it up today, it's possible they've moved off that p- position, but I think early teaching was such. That um, is so weird. Yeah. Um well, and so not only th- I mean. So Thomas, like you're the way that they envision like the 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 underworld and how there's like a council to try and decide what I mean, those are all things that you find in kind of like deep hmm. Mormon theology where you have like this pre-existence where we all existed and the 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 spirits who chose to follow Christ are us because we are like saved. Well, not us. We're probably demons well no we did I, according no like oh, wait, even me because we made it here oh and we're not demons in the previous life we chose to go with Christ. dude this is so gnostic this right. is all gnostic what about the whole skin color thing though mark of cain baby there was that they've moved now they changed of, that they made they, they moved off yeah. that yes because they, they're, they they're a they're a progressively revelatory religion i yeah um <laughs> I don't. Yeah. So, um, 
So when you got this, um, and so, I mean, my understanding is that um, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, is the literal son of a God the Father and a God the Mother. Um, and that Satan, Lucifer, is the biological offspring of them as well, making him the brother mm. of Christ. Um, a jealous brother, so to speak, where it's kind of a Cain and Abel situation. Right, right. Romulus Remus, like mm -hmm. who's going to be the one to lead this nation sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, uh, yeah, so that's kind of, and what I, you know, you were kind of, I think you were trying to imitate uh, Jordan Peterson before. Yeah, 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 he was. Yeah. yeah, so that Jungian, like you get all these story arcs and all of these different mm -hmm. groups, like, yeah, I'm mean, listening Remus, Cain and Abel, like um, of Jesus and Satan with the more like, and that might exist in other um, early church um, heresies. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it does, but it might. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, it's the wild uh, man, you know, the one who's outside of nature or not yes. it's outside of society and is like, yep. within nature. Yep, exactly. Um, so it is very interesting. And I did not. I This is the kind of medieval literature that like. You never read about, or at least not often. Um, it's a little more wild than you would give it credit for. <laughs> I was saying, like, that would make a really good sci fi. Like, yeah, it, that would be a really good, like, Doctor Who or like Star Trek. Oh my god, well, there, was like, a, there was a Merlin show that they came out with in, in the BBC. Did where, they really? Well, Merlin is actually a guy who like time travels back. Okay, and that's why he's a mage, and then it was. I, I think I remember this correctly, but the way he able, is able to do the sword in the stone is he hooks up like electromagnetic force oh. field or something and like keeps it clamps down until Arthur shows up and he's like, click <laughs> and shuts it off, and the guy pulls the sword out. And so it's like this technological. I think people have made that better, yeah. Okay, cool, that's oh, funny, God. yeah. Oh man, that anyway, is funny. Should we get on to what, to what the people want? To what the people want. What one of our five listeners wants. Yeah, entirely possible. Entirely possible that we can. I mean, you know. Okay, I, so we've, I, we've been hemming and hawing on this for a while, and I'm sure that one listener has just been like, skip, 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 skip. <laughs> <laughs> I skip. I don't, are they still? Stop talking about Merlin. It's like the Catholic stuff you should know where there's people who are pro and anti banter. Yes. We're just yes. people who that's, skip the banter. Just like that's I'm on done. the Killer podcast as well. They talk about that. Um, oh, that's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. They should talk about us. Um, okay. So we were going to talk about uh, authority, uh, government mm -hmm. authority. And so I guess to start off with a bad question that might lead to a more interesting conclusion. So. Yeah. I'm kind of interesting thought about uh, when does human authority go from private to public? So obviously a father has a degree of authority in his house, mm -hmm. degree of authority in her house or well in their house, I should say, um, mm -hmm. unless the sad things have conspired. And um, when does that turn though into what we'd understand to be governmental authority and then how is it just? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was actually a lot of questions. Yeah. That's like, like, like a massive, you know, I mean, tens of thousands of pages and thousands of, if not millions of uh, cumulative hours of collective thought. I think that, I think that um, it's helpful to kind of take a step back and St. Thomas, I think gives us a very helpful, I was just reading about this today in preparation for this podcast. Um, St. Thomas gives a helpful analogy um, saying that it's important that we think about 
the state, like the polity as a whole, uh, as a body, that it's more than the sum of its parts, um, and that it's an organic thing. So that means that each part has its place and its proper function, but it all is supposed to work together. Um, so you're going to get, so subsidiarity is basically what you're asking about Thomas that, um, and so I think that what the church says about subsidiarity is, and again, I think the analogy of the body is very helpful, um, because it gets us out of kind of, at least it's supposed to get us out of mechanistic thinking, because I think one of the, one of the big trials that we have in our contemporary culture is that like everything is very, very atomized. And I think that's because we think we approach the world fundamentally, um, modern man fundamentally approaches the world like he's looking at a machine um, rather than at a body, right? And the, the key distinction there is that a machine is given its purpose um, like posteriori, right? Like after the fact, like a machine is like built up of all these parts and like it's this outside kind of force that gives it its trajectory and then like has it do the thing it's made to do. Whereas a body has its purpose built into it a priori, right? Like in the beginning from the, from the first as the, as it's forming. So I think those are all helpful things to have, but with the church uh, to have in mind. By the way. Okay. Okay. I would say that the way you know a thing is by its utility. Okay. So St. Thomas would say the way you know a thing is by what it does, how it acts. So that's similar, but utility is, I I agree with you that Heidegger Mm -hmm. actually is making a distinction there that I wouldn't agree with that. Like Mm -hmm. the utility of the thing, um, Again, do you see how that, that again is well, in the sense of like, how do you know the nature of a hammer? You don't know the nature of a hammer by understanding the hammer qua hammer, you right? Hammer as it doing something, right? And I don't think St. Thomas would agree with that analogy specifically. I mean, I think that again, there's probably similar, there's more similarities between Heidegger and Heidegger has some very Christian kind of insights and thoughts, I think. Sure. Um, but, um, but I think so. So we do. We do. Aristotle pointed out we observe things in the world, and then we know what things are by how they act, right? We know what's good for the human person by not only revelation, but by philosophical reasoning over thousands of years, right? Mm-hmm. Through like what? How does the human person flourish? Um, but to get to kind of to kind of circle back again to what you're asking, uh, Thomas, I think that so, so the basic the church's basic answer to your question, and there's gonna this is not gonna answer totally, but the church's basic answer, right, is that everything subsidiarity means that every level of authority in the world deals with what is proper to it is is to supposed to deal what is proper to it and the more local that it can be dealt with that then that's the way where it should be dealt with right so the uh a king is not supposed to concern himself with what's going on if uh in a in a village uh in his kingdom if the mayor can deal with it uh, the mayor should not concern himself with what's going on in the weaver's guild if the weaver's guild can deal with it and so on and so forth until you get down to the fundamental building block of society itself, which is the family. And then what's proper to the family uh, should be dealt with inside the family. Um, you know, child protective services doesn't show up uh, to take children away from a family unless you have an extreme case, right? Because then you have a higher authority politically coming down to deal with what a lower political authority should be dealing with. So where that line is, um, where like the familial kind of line ends and the Mm -hmm. more, um, government kind of oversight line starts is, um, it's a difficult question. I think it's probably going to vary depending on culture, time and place and situation. Um, 
So, um, yeah, that's what I would say just to get things started. I have more I can say, but let I me, think just kick another, things off. Okay, let me give another example. I think that yeah. kind of gets to the heart of what I think Peter was asking about two weeks ago. Now, mm-hmm. um, okay, so for example, you have Italian city-states and Italian city-states, they have distinct parties and some of them are aligned with the imperial party with the holy roman emperor Mm -hmm. some of them are aligned with the church pretty quickly it just evolves into two different names for the two different parties and it has very little to do with larger international power medieval Mm -hmm. politics it's it's just Mm -hmm. a way of distinguishing us versus them Mm-hmm. And so what will happen is you will have these whole groups of these different parties that are usually aligned around a family that will get mm-hmm. kicked out. So, for example, in Florence for a while, the quote unquote Guelph party gets kicked out. Mm-hmm. They're expelled. Their houses are burnt, stuff like that. They lose. Is that it. where Dante's from? This is where Dante's from. But this is way before Dante. So Dante, okay. what Dante is dealing. So what happens is the Guelph party, quote unquote, gets kicked out and it's the quote unquote Ghibelline party that's in charge. The Ghibelline party is in charge for about uh, like a decade or a little bit less. Mm-hmm. And then when you have more of the imperial cause falling apart, you have the you have the church party or the Guelphs, quote unquote, taking over the city again and expelling the Ghibellines. Mm-hmm. There's pretty generally a lot of other Italian cities will go back and forth between these two parties. But mm-hmm. in this instance, the Guelph party holds on for so long that you will start having a distinction between the, and the Guelph party itself. Since there's no <laughs> Ghibellines, you have right. the whites and the blacks. And so mm-hmm. Dante is, again, one of these later black Ghibellines who gets kicked out of the city mm-hmm. for political ramifications. Now, mm-hmm. one of the interesting things that happens about this is whenever one of the party gets expelled, what they do immediately is they set up a government in exile. They start saying, hey, look, well, we'll set up our, we'll have our Podesta, who's kind of the ruler. We'll have mm-hmm. you know, our commune. We'll, we'll, we'll set up, well, they do everything, right? They set up a parallel mm-hmm. government. Mm-hmm. So where does political authority lie in that instance? Because in some mm-hmm. ways, it's very clearly the political power of like Mantua is whoever has like the power in Mantua, Mantua, not Mantua, Mantua, whatever. Mantua. Let's pick a different. Let's pick a different. Let's Farrar. Actually, Farrar is a bad example because it's controlled by by lords. It's not controlled by political parties. Um, whatever. Like, so who? Mm-hmm. Like, like Milan. Milan is an example where nearby city of Como is where the exiled political faction resides. Mm-hmm. They need to gather people together to fight. They end up fighting the uh, Del Toro family, Del Torre family. Dite Del Torre. And now it's the, uh, what's the name? The Visconti family that takes over. So mm-hmm. really, so this is a good question of like, where, mm. how do we distinguish what is legitimate political power in this instance? Because it quite literally just seems like a might makes right sort of scenario. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, yeah. A democratic so, invention and it's like proto-liberalism and David French is going there like, Oh right. my gosh, guys! <laughs> <laughs> no, so okay, so <laughs> so there's a couple of different. I probably should have led. I should have read Leo the Thirteenth on this because Leo the Thirteenth has some has a bunch to stay on political authority. But um, um, so so I think that so clearly it's not made makes right, right? The church is very clearly not in favor of seeing things that way. Might makes right. That's definitely not the case. Um, it's it's interesting because actually. I, I was looking in St. Thomas, this is related. Um, I was looking in St. Thomas for establishments of kingdoms. Mm-hmm. 
an establishment of rulers. And I couldn't find it in the Summa. I wonder if he writes about it in um, his, his, what's it, De Regis? De Re- or something De Regno. Like that. Regno. Yeah, De Regno. De Regno, yeah. He might write about it there. Um, but in um, at least in the Summa, he, he takes it for granted in what he, when he's talking about political authority and he's talking about different, you know, when you can rebel against political authority and all this stuff. Um, but he kind of just takes it for granted that there's authority. Like just, he just takes it for granted that there's an authoritative structure in place. That's part of, that's like overseeing whatever community you're part of, um, which I think actually is interesting. And it says something about, um, it says something important about um, the, the situation we find ourselves, right? And that is that one of the difficulties about reasoning about this is that the liberals, classical, classic liberals, right? Mm-hmm. Grounded in Hobbes and Rousseau, they want to talk about this pure state of nature kind of thing sure. where um, nobody has political rights, where no, there is no poli- there is no polity. And so what do you do? And they say, well, you vest your authority in somebody and then they act on behalf of the entire polity sure. and you've surrendered your kind of right to them. So um, obviously that's problematic in certain ways. Um, Don't say, but I think it's, I think it's just it's either an issue or it's not like most aggressive intellectualism. Oh, problematic. Just say you have an effing problem or you don't. Like I have, yeah, I have a problem with that, right? And I think the church does too. I think the church does too, because there is no pure. There's no such thing as a pure state of nature. Man always exists in communities. Um, so the the other kind of popular thing to say, and this is what the Americans, the American system uh, coming out of the Enlightenment. Uh, coming out of a Hobbesian and Rousseauian kind of worldview in many ways um, somewhere. Uh, you know, my sister is screaming about how the American mind is so much more complex and deep and rooted in more history than that. But anyway, yeah. oh, that's um, um, uh, so, so uh, that is that um, the Americans say that people get their authority, that rulers get the authority from the people. Mm-hmm. Rulers get their authority from the people. Um uh, there's people in the church who also argue this. Saint Robert Bellarmine spec- uh, kind of toys with this idea um, in the uh, in the Counter Reformation. He kind of toys with the idea that um, the authority of rulers is in, is in some way invested uh, in uh, the. It comes from the people, comes from God to the people, and then the people give it to rulers. Okay. Um, the church kind of goes back and forth on that whether or not that's the case. Um, it seems like Leo the Thirteenth. I don't, if I'm remembering correctly, somewhere Dr. Bursnack is like screaming that he taught me this um he's not well he's probably not listening um but um uh i forget what leo 13 says but mm-hmm. it seems that uh political authority is given to one who has care of the community mm-hmm. what does that mean um i'm not i'm not 100 percent sure what that means um i know what it means when i when, when once it's happened i know what that means um and oh, and legit Andrew, right. Like that's, this, that's the question. That's the question. Okay. That's so the question. I'm not okay. sure. I'm not okay. sure. Um, I'm not sure what I want to say personally. I'm not sure what the church says. I think the church kind of leaves it open for debate, okay. but I, I also am personally not sure. Like how does one legitimately obtain um, legitimate political authority? Sure. Um, now, like, um, you know, usually in, his, in the history of, usually in the history of the world, it's, uh, by by victory on the battlefield, right? Yeah, Usually, it's somebody it might, who what is might makes right, <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. But then, but but clearly, that's not 
the origin of such authority. But then once such an authority is established, yes. right, it becomes it then like there's a certain point, And that's another interesting question. How long before an illegitimate government becomes legitimate in, in, the, in the colloquial sense? Right. Like at what point do you owe your allegiance to the king if the king if the king's grandfather assassinated you know the the, pre, the the previous king and then the whole family is exiled and then the new king moves in and takes control of the kingdom okay. uh at what like how many generations before i actually do owe him my allegiance I, i'm not sure I, so I, I think that the big thing that aquinas seems to emphasize is that whoever is has political authority his political authority is rooted in the good mm-hmm. like it's rooted in the good itself in pursuit of the good itself as a political community and that a, any legitimate authority is um, its vocation is to pursue the good of its entire community. And the end of the polity is the same as the end of the human person, mm-hmm. right? They're both the same, which is something that the modern concept totally rejects is the idea. This is where you get funny things where Ben Shapiro uh, as intelligent and awesome as he is in so many ways, he'll say things like, I don't care about the character of my politicians. I care about the kind of job they do. I don't, you know, he'll say things like the president is a plumber. The president is a plumber. He's like, he's got a job. His job is to shovel crap and like deal with it. Right. Mm-hmm. That's what his job is. He's the plumber. But I think to a classical mind, that's kind of incoherent. I, I think that no, his job is to be a leader of men. Yep. His job is to be able to lead his community his polity into uh into the the good um which i think so i think that when we talk about political authority and just political authority i think it's hard to separate out um all these things because i think it's it's like okay a just authority a just political authority is leading its community toward the good if if you have a ruler who's no longer leading his people toward the good in any meaningful way. Like it's in fit, like, you know, Mm -hmm. people look at, you know, there's examples throughout history of rulers who in some way, in some meaningful way are leading their people toward the good, even if they're not doing it fully. Right. But as soon as you lose, as soon as you have a country or a people, as soon as you have a leadership class or a leader, a King that's not leading its people, like in pursuit of the good, Mm -hmm. then, uh, Aquinas seems to think that's probably not a legitimate government anymore. Fascinating, right? And so, so, so let's take that. Let, let's, you know, hypothetically speaking, we've got, I mean, there's so many examples that I'm going to try and pull on, but yeah. So post-World War II world. Mm, yeah, good play. Yeah, good, good. Um, you've got a kind of government that is longstanding Let's say British Empire yeah. is, is in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. And they are there, they are the political power in that area. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily leading people towards any good. They're really just a mercantile estate of the mm-hmm. empire. There's mm-hmm. no like polity being formed. Basically, they serve to fill the coffers of the British Empire. Mm-hmm. Like, and so Thomas says, probably not a legitimate authority in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. Does and then does now, like you said, the church is very non-committal. Not, I don't want to say non-committal, but they have not been very specific on this. I think for a good reason. But it's right. 
let's say if the church had to pass judgment on a band of, you know, Arab um, nationalists um, in mm-hmm. that time period, would the church say, yeah, you guys are actually probably in the right to try and establish a localized mm-hmm. government free of the European um, monarch? Like, so what do you think? I, I think so. I, I, because I think that, because I think that one of the other things that, is so important in in this discussion um is where culture fits in and what right. and and the the way that culture forms an entire people um and the way that people form a culture and i think this is one of the great gifts um of god in his diversity of creation that is so under attack in our contemporary time is um it's good that people are diverse yeah and it's good that people have different characteristics, right? That they have different ways of excellence, right? Like, I don't think it's like, I don't think it's a problem in any way to look at, you know, for example, the, uh, the Portuguese Mm -hmm. in the age of exploration and to say, and to marvel at their ingenuity, um, their ability, the Portuguese ability to become great explorers to, they would, you know, to develop, to develop ships for the first time, that can actually sail the ocean, right? That can actually be out of sight of land totally and have the deep water hulls that can, that can sail across really, really, ter- yeah. you know, t- tortuous waves. We can look at that and say, that is a great excellence. Um, and then there's a culture that's for, that's like an excellence that emerges from a culture, you know, Polynesian Islanders, right. From yeah. uh, ancient times. Right. I mean, so pro- maybe the greatest living mariners ever. Right. I mean, just where the ability to use the stars to sail to islands that are like less than five miles, right. Like in diameter. And like they, they use the stars to sail hundreds of miles and hit that Island. I mean, yeah. it's astonishing. So, and that came out of a culture, right. So I think that one of the things about authority is that um, I, I don't know. I'm kind of interested to see what you guys think about this because I don't know kind of how to put it, but it seems to me that authority in some way has to be linked to that. Mm. There has to be a way in which authority is linked to a specific people who have a specific polity, right? A specific time and place. Um, and, and like, so because authority has to be given uh, authority has to exercise itself in in time and in space and in a particular context. And it seems to me that when you have a foreign power, yeah. when you have a foreign power, which means right, it's not of it's not a power which is rooted in that in that locale, in that culture, in yeah. those people, and and it's treating them unjustly, right? Then you kind of have to start asking why like is this even a rebellion right Right. like because i i think i think the church is very wise that you know dr warren carroll who founded christian college always said to the day he died he always said there's no (laughs) deep dive Uh, deep deep dive um deep dive so um uh dr carroll always maintained that there's no such thing as a just revolution Mm. and i think that's right and i think that's right because I think that a revolution implies a total overthrowing of the current order, which is never, which is really never okay. Because if there's order, 
I, and I think this is, the, to my mind, this is how I understand St. Thomas anyway, and, and I could be wrong, but order implies authority. And ordering of society implies an authority. And as soon as you have, as, as soon as you have an authority which has abused its, its, its authority that has no longer providing it's like, it seems to me that like you kind of have to get to a point where an authority is no longer even providing an ordering of society. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then, and that doesn't necessarily mean chaos, right? That could mean, that could mean that like you, the example you use Peter about um, the British empire in the middle East, where there's order in the sense that there's concord, right? There's like, there's the, but there's not peace. Like St. Thomas would make the distinction between peace and concord, right? Where St. Thomas would say two evil men can have concord with each other where they agree to do an evil thing together. That's not peace. Right. So he would say, that's not peace. Peace is when you actually, you have harmony of in a life of virtue between persons. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so, and that's what, that's what peace is in St. Thomas's mind. Right. And, and same thing in a kingdom. And then he broadens it out where St. Thomas says you can have concord in a kingdom, which means like, you have the laws are being followed. There's not people dying on the street, like in warfare, right? Like things are like stable, because but there's so. no, there's no meaningful. <laughs> not downtown Philly. Okay. <laughs> right. Right. It doesn't even have Concord. So, all right. No, oh, right. Doesn't even have Concord. You're right. breaking up, you know, friggin. Right. yeah so so i'm not notice i'm not disagreeing with you i'm just going to move on um um, but uh so 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 okay so 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 i think sometimes people get caught up when they say well if you say like some people criticize the idea about there's no such thing as a virtuous rebellion by saying well no like if you can't overthrow an established order then you could never have an rebellion or you could never you could never overthrow a, a, a tyranny, right? Yeah. And the response is no. A tyranny does not establish order. It might have concord. It might have like a, a, a kind of peace, a, an appearance of peace. Yeah. But actually, internal internally, the society is at war with itself uh, because that things are not stable for the people in their lives, even if they're stable in their lives, as far as nobody's being murdered on the street, as far in, in big numbers, you know, there's not war happening, but the laws are not ordering the society. When the laws are not ordering the society, then you live basically in a tyranny in some sense, because then you, because then the mon- the authority is no longer functioning in any meaningful way for what yeah. they're there. They or he or she is there to even do, which is right. order society in such a way as to lead the society towards virtue, right? Like that right. is what, that is the classical meaning of what it means. That's, cla- that's, pol- that's classical politics, right? Um, and, like, and the and, difference between tyranny and depotism, if I'm not saying it right, and like monarchy, mm-hmm, right? Oligarchy right, right. and aristocracy. Right. Precisely. Like, like Precisely. democracy and whatever. Right. Republic. It's been those those distinctions those distinctions have been in political flaw whatever whatever the, the plato the plato guy man oh yeah yeah yes, yeah yes, yeah yes, yeah yes. no i mean no no this is exactly right this is exactly right this is the thing the classical tradition has understood this for thousands of years um that this is it's only in modernity it's only in modernity where we have this weird thing where all of a sudden the state's job becomes concord and that's it and that right. like, and that's all the state does. Whereas to, to the church's mind, it seems to be, or 
you know, to be a little bit less ambitious uh, to St. Thomas's mind, uh, to Augustine's mind, to Aristotle, to Plato, to all the kind of the, the seminal thinkers of political thought throughout the entire Western tradition leading up to leading up to the Enlightenment. That's crazy. The idea that the state would only be there to establish concord to them would make no sense because then they would say, because then the question becomes, well, what is holding the, like, well, why is this a polity at all then? Where's the order? Like, where's the order where people are living their lives in this structured political way where they're interacting with each other, where they're pursuing the common good as a community? If you just have concord, then everybody's just kind of atomized into their own little places. And then you don't have any pursuit of the good as a political body. That doesn't make any sense. And nobody's going to flourish in that kind of environment, um, to which all of us who live in 21st century America are like, huh, this is making some sense. Like, I'm that's just hearing more arguments work. against capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have come to appreciate capitalism for its honesty. Um, so, okay, so I think it would be good for us. So if we're going to, you know, kind of follow the Thomas's opinion, but not, Can we you know, if it's not going Thomas to be so that I don't like my like head doesn't like, wait, 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 what I, oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Thomas just because we know that's, you know, like, yes. <laughs> um, if this is not going to be an argument for utopia, mm-hmm. is there mm-hmm. you, you were talking about yeah, Michael, what this is why we need Michael here. He'd be like, oh, wait, wait, what, 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 this is not a utopia, man. It's not a utopia. Like, <laughs> Well, so my mind is that utopia is no place. I mean, it. So certainly, in modern times, you would struggle to find a single government Mm -hmm. that, like you said, modern times were just here to like not nuke each other and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like just keep people from murdering each other and then also buying iPhones. Like, right, 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 right. The modern totally have to do. Um, Yep, totally. Totally. So <laughs> it's really bad. <laughs> it's really bad. <laughs> it looks pretty bleak. Um, so mm-hmm. do we have to go back to where can we look to find a mm-hmm. because even if you have a benevolent ruler, mm-hmm. like I'm thinking about um yeah, here uh, in Florida. Part- we don't allow them. Oh yeah, no. <laughs> you're you're joking. You're joking. But that's where my mind was going. They say Augustus okay. Caesar just I took was... when things were really bad in the Roman Republic. And I think there's a historical precedence for just Caesarizing this whole shit. <laughs> so, but like, let's take a like uh, you know in this fantastical world where you have a ruler. You're in the hinterlands of Rome, let's say, mm-hmm. and you have never come in contact with an actual like Roman educated governor mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and a Herod is like making your life miserable. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. and you're like he you're still like direct. You are in the Roman Empire, mm-hmm. but your local guy is not as good of a ruler as Caesar is because mm-hmm. he's a decadent whatever mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is your allegiance to Caesar give you allegiance to Herod. Mm-hmm. Or do you do you have a right to rebel against Herod and and, and then go out and because you're rebelling against Herod, rebel against Caesar? Oh. Yeah. So it's 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 really um, it's re- that's that's like such a good question, right? Because it ends up being it's super it's super historically relevant, right? Because yeah. um, our Lord our Lord indicates that the Jewish people should 
the, the Lord indicates that because the Jewish people have not accepted him, right? He says this when he weeps over Jerusalem, because you have not accepted me, you will rebel. And because you will rebel, your city will be destroyed and the temple will be taken from you. Right. Yeah. So it, it's like a super relevant question. Um, it's, I think it enters into, so what are our, so, okay. So my mind, okay. I need to order my thoughts. So yeah. firstly, yeah. I want to say, firstly, I want to say that, <laughs> that thank, thanks Thomas. Always, always well, encouraging. Yeah, um, Thomas says, uh, um the uh okay so firstly it's important to bring remember that our lord's point in so many so many times in scripture our lord's point is not is so emphatically not to make a god out of politics Right. right like that is a huge thing and that's a real warning to many, many people in our culture today, right? Um, you know, uh, including many practicing Catholics who are very good people, but like there can be this tendency to, to make politics your God, right? And no, 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 I don't think that's true. Yes, the, 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 No, the, uh, the book I'm reading right now is by by New Polity Press. Where's my holy uh, water? Really, really, really good book. Uh, uh, but no, so so new, new, I think New Polity actually is, is very interesting. But okay, so... Um, yeah, I mean, Stalin was interesting too. <laughs> <laughs> Great, like yeah, well, it's not okay. So not, <laughs> so so not making so not making politics your god, right? Is super important. Okay, so this is always the danger when you are. This is one of the reasons war is the last resort, right? Yeah. War is the last resort in the mind of the church because in war it is so easy to lose sight of the good of Christ of so war is like, so, okay. So, so every peaceful means must be exhausted. And then this other thing that's very interesting, this other thing that's very interesting. And that is that the churches, um, not doctrinal. No, I I don't want to say doctrine because, because doctrine is doctrine is flexible in some way. Doctrine develops dogma does not, but doctrine does because doctrine doctrine is an expression of, of the faith so doctrine actually develops but but dogma does not yeah. it's not dogma but it is it it seems to be something that 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 is is developing in the it, over the history of the church this idea that there needs to be in some sense a chance of success whenever you are attempting to overthrow a tyrant or um and and the church and this is not explicit saint thomas doesn't this is not one of the criteria for just war in saint thomas he doesn't talk about it um but it's kind of implied in saint thomas i would argue there's like an element of prudence there in the first place that it shows up as far as i know the first place that it shows up and i could be wrong on this is in the catechism of the catholic church published by john paul ii in 1993 Wow. Um, is the first place and and it comes from and it comes from i think and again i have no proof of this but i just think it does i think it comes like from the uh <laughs> like an amendment yeah uh ratzinger schoenborn and pope john ii voted on it it was two to it was two to one um uh no i'm just kidding um uh the uh um so I think that it happened as a result of the 20th century mm-hmm. and the totalitarianism of the 20th century, where I think that they were, I think John Paul II and Ratzinger and Schoenborn were looking back on the 20th century and they were seeing that there were all these times where local people were being oppressed. Mm-hmm. They were being oppressed. And it's really true. 
and every criteria of war that St. Thomas lays out in an unnuanced way, um, just taken strictly as it is, mm-hmm. every criteria of war was met. <clears throat> sure. And they would and they would and they would seek to overthrow the established order and they would get annihilated. Yeah. And yeah, I think that running tanks through Hungary. Yep. They, yep. yep. And I think that there was a desire on the uh, on the part of the church to say this is not from God that like you are that, that in circumstances where there's no chance of any success, um, you're probably being asked to suffer in some way as a people right now. Mm -hmm. Now that again, I think that's a matter of prudence because I think that there's times where that's not true. So for example, so for example, I, I think if you are in, there's certain times in, like if you're in Ireland under Cromwell, like if you're in Cromwellian Ireland, yeah. yep. I I don't know what you do besides fight. Yeah. Like I, yeah. I just don't know what you like. I, I like even though you have virtually no chance of success, your women are being yep. uh, assaulted. Uh, mm-hmm. Your 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 children are starving. Yep. Um, you're like 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 it, you, yeah. you know like the yeah. the authority. Like what do you do? Like sure. you, like the very fabric of the society is unraveling because of how oppressive the Cromwellian regime was mm-hmm. um, like a uh, really good novel. If you guys haven't read a fantastic novel, uh, seek the fair land mm-hmm. uh, by Walter Mackin is um, uh, it's a book about uh, that. It's about Ireland in that era. Cool. And it is like, it's, I mean, it is a heartrending novel, but it's so, so good. It's about, it's about a, an, uh, an Irish family it's about a, it's about an Irish man and his children um, whose wife is murdered at the very beginning of the book, like right at the very beginning, his wife is murdered in, in a very famous sack. I forget what the city it was, but there's a very, this very famous battle where the British just like went through the city and basically just raped and killed everybody. I mean, it was just awful. I mean, it's just this horrible, one of the worst sacks. I mean, it's just really, really awful. Um, and um, uh, the city surrendered. And the British did not accept the surrender. Like the city surrendered and the British said, nope, too late. And they went in and they just like eviscerated everybody. And so the story starts out right with that event. And so you have a Franciscan priest who survived and a man and his children who survived. And they're making their way across Ireland, um, seeking to find shelter from what's happening around them. And it's just a, it's a heartrending story, but it's like, and Walter Mackin himself was a good Catholic who wrote the book. And uh, it's, a, it's a really, really, anyway, Seek the Fair Land, great book. Um, if you're in that circumstance and you say, do we have a legitimate chance of success if we fight back against the British? <sighs> I mean, I think it's a prudential thing. I, I, it's, I, I, in that case, I think you have no choice but to fight. I don't know what you do. I don't know what you do besides fight back. I mean, I mean, you have to, mm-hmm. if the British come, if the British find you saying mass, they're going to kill you. Yeah. Right. Like that's like, that's where you see all the mass rocks all over mass rocks dotting Ireland to this day. Yep. Like if the British find you saying mass, they'll kill you. Um, they'll kill the priest at least. Mm-hmm. Um, you know? And uh, so, I mean, like, you know, if, if, if you're discovered, if you're discovered and the soldiers are coming to take the priest away, if you're the men in, uh, standing around, are, are you going to fight the soldiers? Or are you going to let them take father? I, I don't know. You know, it's like, uh, like, you know, it's such a good point. Uh, and I think Ireland is a fantastic example of this. 
when you have um what's kind of interesting is that it went from a contested invasion to an a hundred you know hundreds of years of occupation and chance of success militarily mm. never really existed for a complete mm-hmm. and total victory it mm-hmm. took a someone called terroristic tactics yeah uh, yeah of mm. one you Michael know, Collins and his Michael guys Collins yeah. to bring the British Empire to be like, well, we're tired of our officers getting blown up in their cars. So, you know, yeah. so yeah, it's kind of, and, and so the chance of success didn't lie in, it was yeah. political and it was mm-hmm. violent, mm-hmm. but it was like this very nuanced approach mm-hmm. that we see more often in modern time. Right. Um, right. And right. is that I, I know the society or you know the debate society once toyed with the idea as Michael Collins in heaven. Yeah. Um, and so we didn't run it. Yeah. yeah. It's a tough debate because he he did some, I mean, he was by modern by every modern definition, he was a terrorist. Oh, absolutely. I yeah. mean, like by every modern definition, he was a terrorist. He was a daily communicant. A daily communicant <laughs> and a terrorist. Um, and what's what was fascinating uh, is that he a little bit of banter. Prince <laughs> <laughs> couldn't take the joke. <laughs> Not his fault. <laughs> you know, so what I, I mean, I, I want to disavow terrorism, but you know, I mean, like you know, there's well, some bad but, blood here. I'm just saying. <laughs> right. Okay, so let's I mean all right. so um I have two points to make. One, yeah, his Chance of success was not through a mm-hmm. traditional route, but there was still mm-hmm. an opportunity for victory to establish not concord in Ireland, but peace in Ireland. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If we also look to, let's say, World War II Germany, you had armies fighting and you had Germans within Germany resisting, but you also had individuals who were attempting to commit terrorism against Hitler and, mm-hmm. and kill him. So is assassination in the context of war necessarily terrorism and mortally sinful mm-hmm. or is it just in the cause of war but because we live in these more urban areas it's just how war is fought mm-hmm. um, i don't know this is this is very fascinating i i am loving this conversation because this is really i don't know what the answers are to, to toss out we let's go back to this but like to toss out the michael collins thing there was this facebook page that i followed for a while called michael collins adventure where mm-hmm. it was these two Irish guys, they would just go to different locations in Britain with a cardboard cutout of Michael Collins and the Irish flag draped around him, and they would just like randomly post it, like, yeah, the big fellas on the tube, and they're in London like, with a oh picture of with, like, a cardboard cutout of Michael Collins, oh, or they're like at Stonehenge or something. It's just like this is amazing. Like, <laughs> good thing this isn't the seventies during the Troubles, or you guys are just, oh. like, well, this is a modern. This is from like the worst. This was like as of ten years ago they were doing this. Oh, oh my oh, gosh. Wait. Yeah, yeah. yeah they're just like oh. rubbing it in the bridge like this is amazing oh, then he went man. to then they made a trip to new york and they brought the yeah. cardboard cutter along it's like it was amazing i loved it oh man <laughs> so i i just don't it, it's a i think it's like when i said that i think the church was has been wise not to mm-hmm. you really like like this is the way it is forever and always um mm-hmm. is because not quoting a religious or you know church authority here but i was listening to a former state department guy he was saying that all of these things we're talking about exist in a gray zone mm. like he was specifically talking about how if you're a u.s ambassador or you're a state department rep 
There are some times where you're going to have to make deals with bad people to get what you mm-hmm. want. And the church has done this with the communists on a couple of occasions. No, that's true. I mean, we've done it recently with the Chinese and we did it in Hungary. Oh. And Right, right. So it's this willingness to exist in a gray zone. And so if we're like looking at Ireland and looking at Michael Collins and it's like, well, it doesn't fit to mystic, you know, we're, you know, mm-hmm. we're not, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but like, but out the outcome, not that ends justify the means, but it's like mm-hmm, how do mm-hmm. we define how are we going to analyze this modern way of overthrowing Concord and establishing peace? Yeah, that's a really uh, I think I think it's a really, really difficult thing. Um uh, yeah, I, I think I think it's a profoundly difficult question. Yeah. Um, because I think that um yeah, I, 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 yeah. So, so, I, I, yeah. It's like, it's like, a, it's a, it's a weird thing where I think, I think there are times where you have to make concord with people, mm-hmm. um, like even bad people. But I think that, I think that it's, it's unfair, right? I, I think that saying, I, I think saying, I think it's important never to lose sight of what we're trying to establish. Sure. All right. Like, and not just call it an ideal. Like, well, in an ideal world, we would have real peace in our society. It's like, no, 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 no. Like, this is what we're trying to do. Right. That's and right. again, it's, 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 and again, what Thomas is accusing New Polity of is, Saint, is oh, that wait, they, I, would, I, I literally that they, jumped to St. Thomas and like, that actually makes sense because he probably would, he'd probably be like, oh, like, how can anything good come out of Ohio? Like you think you, would- <laughs> Philosophical luminaries are coming out of like Ohio. Like, I don't think so. Try Indian. <laughs> uh, try Indian. So look, okay. The point is, is that I think the danger is, and what Thomas would have probably accused New Polity of is making politics, like losing track of reality in light of idealizing something. Right. Which I don't, which I, which I don't think is what they're doing, but I think there's a re I, but I, I see why one would say that, but I also think, I also think it's important that we not lose sight of what we're attempting to establish as a just equitable and authentically peaceful polity in our politics. Right. Um, So I think that that's like the goal. And so like not to see it as just some ideal, but like to see it as like a goal and then move towards it. And in pursuit of that goal, there's times where you have to make concord with people around you. So you can do that. I mean, I mean, right. Like you have, we have treaties, we have treaties uh, throughout medieval history with the Muslims at times where like, Hey, we're going to have peace and concord for the time being so that we can like both our countries can just recuperate from this war we've had or, you know, what, what, what have you. Um, so, so I think that's, that's one thing. Um, yeah. Uh, I can't think of it. Okay. So I guess anyway. part of my question, and you brought up mm-hmm. Islam, part mm-hmm. of me wonders, and this is not a question that I think we can answer with sufficient knowledge that we have is, yeah, man, how much of this is uh, because the West was never conquered by Islam? Like we mm-hmm. can this as a Christian standpoint, how is mm-hmm. the political outlook different from an Eastern Orthodox perspective that never mm-hmm. had control of the polity in the same way that western europe did like how much not to go like the his, the history and the social circumstances shakes shapes the theology and the philosophy mm-hmm. but i'm curious i mean how if you're a arabic christian living in armenia or antioch or something like that under the umayyad mm-hmm. caliphate 
how much of your understanding of just government is actually not being developed along those lines, um, but is mm-hmm. maybe a little bit more prudential, shall we say, and less mm-hmm. universal in an ideological sense. So mm-hmm. I'm curious. I don't know the answer to that. That's just me tossing out potential questions. So here's my question. This is what I'm mainly getting at. And I think what we, we could develop and delve into a little bit more is mm-hmm. um, we talked a lot. A lot of the conversation has mentioned the concept of the common good or the good, as you say, um, or as Thomas says, the good. Um, mm-hmm. This is, again, going to sound like a dumb question, right? Because for the Enlightenment, this is a legitimate. This is not a legitimate question. But now here in our time period, it is a legitimate question. What is mm-hmm. the good? <laughs> what, what, mm-hmm. what, what is the good? And so this is why when you read McIntyre, McIntyre um, After Virtue is a brilliant book and mm-hmm. has helped me regain my sanity that it's like, okay, I'm not the only person sitting here like snorting crazy pills. Like, right, <laughs> right, 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 right. In, in the modern ethical system as well. I'm not the only one just like losing my mind. The only thing is, is that McIntyre is in the best sense of the word, a deconstructionist. He's mm-hmm. deconstructing the modern understanding of morality and arguing mm-hmm. that it's based upon essential bunk. It's just like mm-hmm. haphazard. Mm-hmm. Like I got a little bit of this here. I got a little bit of that there. Let me build mm-hmm. myself a moral system. You're like, dude, mm-hmm. literally makes zero sense, but mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. And so that's, and that's fine. I'm, I'm, I'm very glad to deconstruct. There is a, there's a great, <laughs> <laughs> primitive joy in iconoclasm against false icons um, right and right. so that's fine that's fair and i'm not denying that mm-hmm. how this is the thing that i've never quite gotten with mm-hmm. the poly types it's like what's gonna happen what are you gonna do well we're gonna empty our 401ks mm-hmm. and uh investing is wrong period because right of like reasons uh but gambling isn't wrong but this is wrong because it's speculative but don't ask the difference between it and it involves like chickens and like caring about people and living in ohio and not Mm -hmm. becoming a heroin addict and it's like okay (laughs) what is i'm not trying to deny that you're building something and believe me like i've been eating a lot of crow with the price of eggs now and mm-hmm. their whole fetishization mm-hmm. of like farm life um but i still don't quite this is what i i still struggle with is where do you build and how do you build mm-hmm. because you can't simply go back to what you had you can't mm-hmm. just simply go to a point in which everyone believed in quote unquote the good although mm-hmm. i mean i would still argue maybe it's a little bit more diverse than everyone's just kind of in lockstep but in a general sense, I think everyone kind of had general ideas and that atheism, yeah. atheism and something like that is a very fringe, like mm-hmm. almost yeah. it's like it's like being part of the clan today. It's like, yeah, mm-hmm. it's out there, but like nobody's mm-hmm. really actually right. legitimately going to be part of the clan right. and get into the upper echelons of power. Like, right. Oh, right. This is not going to happen. Well, but Donald Trump shot that. Um, <laughs> you, get, you get my point, right? It's just. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally. A, yeah. So this has always continued to be like, yeah, you got all the intellectual answers to it. You Mm -hmm. have none of the societal building blocks on which Mm -hmm. to build upon that. And then sometimes, not that I've had long conversations. Well, no, I have had some conversations with some people, but I don't want to like rip on them for this. But it's like society collapse. 
And it's like, dude, that cannot be our game plan. It's like, okay, right, guys, right, societal collapse right. on three. Ready? Go. <laughs> be the game plan, guys. That can't. Right, I mean, right, like, right, right. like uh, not. It's not out of the like. It's not that. But even like, here's the thing. This is why I don't even believe in the societal collapse thing. World mm-hmm. War Two is the closest mm-hmm. we have to a societal collapse in Europe. Yeah. What does it produce? It doesn't mm-hmm. produce any like, okay, rejuvenation of Christian Europe or something like that. No, like, no, right. no, no. It's, it's like, it is a deeper I, descent. It's a deeper it, descent into nihilism. I think because we didn't live in Europe during that time, we don't understand the scars, both on a physical toll of the destruction of cities, you know, mm-hmm. across from London to Berlin to Stalingrad to just the loss of life. And that, that is the closest we could literally get towards a complete societal breakdown where, as some historians have argued, like, especially on the Eastern Front, the law of the land is these armies. And it is the envi- it is the, the army structure. If you want justice, you have to go to whoever's the commander of an army on a field. It's mm-hmm. not you go to the local magistrate. That is literally mm-hmm. as close to societal breakdown as you could possibly get. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is really good. Um, that's, uh, this is this is my issue. With, yeah. So so here. So here at the seminary, there was a couple guys. I think the one, the one, the one really big one has discerned out of seminary, and he's, I think he's good. Is he engaged? He might be engaged now. But there's one guy who described yeah, himself as seminary. seminary. Just like <laughs> <laughs> uh, forty two. Hey, 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 dude! I will tell you. I will tell you. Uh, and all of you who are listening, who are single men, I will tell you. A seminary education, if, if the world, if the Lord is not calling you to the priesthood, but a Catholic woman finds out that you were in seminary. Very, very nice. Very, very nice. Because like she, then she knows you have a prayer life. She knows you take the Lord seriously. Very, very good stuff. Yeah. So, um, so what I would say is, one thing is that uh, oh yeah yeah. So the guy I was thinking of, he described himself as an accelerationist, right? Like somebody who which. Oh yeah! Oh, that reminds. Yeah me right. Of <laughs> yeah right right. Like well, basically he's like he he and he said this to our professor of humanities here at the seminary really bright guy diehard monarchist uh professor of humanities um but he uh really really one of the smartest human beings i've ever met and the, this guy said to him doctor like i i like like and he started talking about accelerationism. he's like i think we just need to accelerate this process and like <laughs> the, the professor the professor was like the professor was like um so not that I don't have like strong sympathies with everything you're saying, except here's the one glaring flaw in your argument. We have no idea what would come next. <laughs> like, like you want to accelerate to societal collapse? What then? Like what yeah. like what's exactly. the like like what like oh like you like assuming like again like anyway, so he was saying you're assuming that everyone's going to things have are going to like things are going to. Yeah. That, and that's not necessarily true at all. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, could just, so, just, yes, it could just yeah. throw you into more despair. And so especially so, if the people who are causing the societal collapse are Jesus lovers. Okay. So here's the thing. Well, that's right. right. Like, <laughs> that's yeah, actually, like, yeah. I didn't even, who are the, 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 the FTR like, who screwed this thing up? Like, yeah. So, yeah, so it was like those guys. Yeah, it was so, the crypto fascist, the, like, <laughs> the local crazy blue haired person has been screaming at, you know, the people outside the abortion clinic. You know what I okay, mean? Like, that's so, the- right, right. Uh, so uh, pro-life guy got acquitted, by the way. That was good. I forget his name now, but the pro-life guy in Philly who was on trial for. Did you not hear about this? No, I didn't hear about this. Oh, OK, I'll send it to you later. It's a big okay. national story. Some of our listeners will have, will have heard of it. But okay. anyway, he got acquitted this week. So um, 
Okay, so on the note of the blue-haired screaming chick outside of abortion clinics, though, is that is it's 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 the it's the it's that kind of social engagement, right? Not that I should say that kind because that's insane, but like it's I think that when we're talking about societal collapse, right? When people talk about societal collapse. I don't think they're talking about armies striding across the the United States. I think that there's, I think the idea is that um, we, I think that the, the idea that new polity and some of these other people are trying to get us to, 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 to see is that we have to stop operating. We have to stop. We have to stop operating inside the dialectic. Okay. So think about it this way. Mm-hmm. Okay. We have for, for decades, if not a couple of centuries now, we've had this long march through the institutions on the part of the left. They only apply that to themselves over the past five decades or so, the long march, the institutions to liberalize things. Okay. What do we, we have we mean by liberalism here? Do we mean just like liberal left is let's say leftist, let's say leftist. Okay. Let's okay, say so leftism. Pelosi, AOC, yeah. 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 Okay, I'll say that. Okay. I'll say it. So like okay. leftism is made it's long march through the institutions. They say they started in like the 1960s, early sixties. They're started to like, sure. just like academia became the first thing that was really important. And like, this is all like, right. Like this is, this is all Marxists in the, in like, you know, Frankfurt the, the Frankfurt school and like these people, like they, it was very intentional. We are going to make the institutions left. Like we're going to push everything it's, and we're going to deconstruct and we're going to, okay. So you have the constant Hegelian dialectic playing out in politics for the, at least the past century. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that is, it's the left and the right. It's the liberals and the conservatives. It's, I mean, like, and it, it, like men, women, rich, poor, like the whole thing, it's the Marxist Hegelian dialectic, which we're seeing. And it's the, and it's totally the framework that people are operating out of. It's totally the framework that not just the left, but most people on the right are also operating out of this framework of us versus them, left versus right, just totally buying into this whole narrative that that's how it is. And I think that one of the, and, and I think that the answer is that we have to transcend the dialectic. And this is what so often the church is trying to do, right? This is so often why you have people like Archbishop Shapu of Philadelphia, who was very orthodox, very strong, very outspoken on all of these important issues. And he never, ever, ever felt comfortable with the Republican Party never felt comfortable with identifying with the political right. Everybody called him this arch conservative. When you read him, it's very clear. He never, ever Mm -hmm. felt like he was identifying with the political right. And I think that's like, that's the kind of thinking we need. And I think that's what new polity is trying to do is they're trying to transcend. They're trying to say, we have to step out of this Marxist dialectic framework that we've been operating out of for decades because it's not getting us anywhere if we as long as we're operating inside this dialectic we're not actually going to be able to reform the culture to be able to reform people's lives right this is why cardinal george of chicago refused over and over again he refused the mantra culture warrior when everybody called him a culture warrior he hated that because he would and even though he was like staunchly orthodox uh, right and he was somebody who was in favor of 
having a culture of life, having a Catholic culture, all the rest. So mm-hmm. I think that's kind of what I think, even in the new, po- even, the, and I, I don't agree with everything you like, I'm not a new polity like guy, the, this book that I'm reading right now for my master's thesis, the politics of the real mm-hmm. is very, very good. And that mm-hmm. was published by new polity press. Um, it's DC Schindler. He teaches at the John Paul II Institute in DC. Okay. Um, he's published a bunch of stuff elsewhere, but mm-hmm. new polity published this book. Uh, and it's very, very, very good. Um, okay. Um, anyway, here's the issue. here, but again, this I'm going to go back to it. the The politics of the transcendence. First of all, I'm not 100 mm-hmm. percent sure what you're hitting on there. Like, what do you what do you mean by the politics of the transcendence? And also, we don't live in a world that acknowledges the transcendentals mm-hmm. or the trans mm-hmm. transcendents. But oh my gosh, mm-hmm. transcendentals, transcendentals. Thank you. English is difficult. It's not my first language. Um, <laughs> Gibberishes. Um, so I'm just. I still am kind of confused how you operate, though, within that framework, because there's mm-hmm. so many other things that have to be built up on the baseline before you can get to that point. OK, so here's my- And because you have to build up all of those things on the baseline to get to this point of like, OK, we're mm-hmm. transcending the left right dichotomy, blah, 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 whatever, mm-hmm. whatever, whatever, really, it just means I'm a libertarian anarcho anarcho. No, no. Culturalist. <laughs> um, that's what it really means. No. Um, who also likes incense. Um, <laughs> the question still remains is it seems that that is still based upon the idea of uh yeah when there's the nuclear exchange and i'm in the uh appalachian mountains as hayden me <laughs> radiation and uh, everyone else has been burned to a crisp and uh we're gonna make ourselves a shark right here in the no. <laughs> west virginia valley it's gonna be beautiful <laughs> like, no 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 i don't think so point, at all right? it's, it's no like, i do how do no, you no. build on to even get to that point without all these other, okay. like you just breed them out of existence? You just, yeah, that's part of it. That's part of it. Kids, yeah, <laughs> quotas. You do the inverse <laughs> of China communism and stuff, and you're like, no, we have the nine kid quota. We got to get this done. I'm just kidding. Yeah, that's that's okay. all. That's not what family life is supposed to be. That's official. Please don't quote me on any of that. So, like, so one quote. That's okay. Is just yeah, I know that. Well, that media matters is gonna. Media matters is gonna clip that. And just take it out of, rip it out of context. So, um, what? Uh, okay. Then we're up to six listeners. Um, yeah, great, right. Um, if media matters ever notices this podcast, we are doing really well. Um, so, they got to get a new line of work. <laughs> so that's probably true. So, okay. So I think what I'm saying when I say we have to transcend the politics of Marxism, when we have to transcend the left and the right, we have to transcend the dichotomy that Hegel like really put in place. Um, I'm, I'm saying in the most importantly, firstly, firstly, we have that, yeah, not necessarily most importantly, but, but the first step, right. Is thinking clearly like transcending the dialectic in our thinking first, seeing that this is not natural this this dichotomy that has been set up between the left and the right the the rich and the poor the now more and more right the woke and the unwoke the the woke and the base let's say right like 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 that's okay so so all of these dichotomies are feeding into the maelstrom of political modern life modern political life modern political discourse right Mm -hmm. which is less and less communication right and people like bill maher everybody from Everybody from, you know, the bishops of the United States, the Catholic bishops of the United States to Bill Maher and HBO agrees we have no discourse anymore. 
there's there's not communication happening between that's, the left. But that's the right. where you get the discourse then. Okay, so well, well <laughs> the but you have to transcend. Omar agrees on yeah, something. right. Yeah, well, there you go. Right, <laughs> but we've so irony, or we've gotten to the first step. <laughs> I think it's a little bit of both, but you have to transcend. And so, like, in your thinking about it, like in our thinking about it, as Catholic Christians, in our thinking about it, we have to transcend the dialectic. Just, to, just in even how we're thinking about, like, because we don't want to get, like, anyway. Okay, so that's number one. Number two. I think that localism is extremely important. I think that there is the town where our alma mater is located, like half the town council is Catholics. Okay. And like, there's been stuff like there, there have been things happen that, that, that where decisions have been made in the town where the Catholics are having a big input on laws that are made on um, ordinances that are put in place. Okay. There's, there's, there's good things that the Catholics who are on the town council are doing. That's number one. That's really good. On a broader scale, like I think that what you have seen the woke kind of people do for the past five decades, where you, they've gone into the institutions and they have like really changed people's minds about things in the institutions. Like now we see in Florida from the other side of the political spectrum, we see a, a pushback, right? Where like all this stuff, where all of a sudden you're getting, right? a governor who has political power, right. Who is actually sure. acting right in a way that's like, that's like very, very conducive to the good where he's saying, no, we're not going to be teaching Marxism, Marxist theories in our schools. We're not going to be like, or not, not teach. We're going to be teaching them, but not like shoving them down people's throats. Okay. So I think like when you see that, that is political authority leading his people toward the good. Right. That is somebody who's like the first glimpses of it, like the first glimpses of a political leader who's trying to lead his people toward the good. Right. Um, In accord with reason, which is in accord with the natural law, which is in accord of what it means to be a human person made in the image and likeness of God. That's what it means to lead somebody toward the good is their good as a human person. And it's that same good as a human person, which is the good for a political community. And if you and political authority is rooted wherever it comes from, whether it's people, the, the, the people who are investing a ruler in it, whether it's the ruler who finds himself in that position after winning a war, whatever it is, whatever the answer to that question is. And again, I think that's, uh, it's debatable. Whatever the answer is, the, the job of an authority is to order society so that people can be led toward the good as a whole, as a body, a corporate political body. Mm-hmm. And that I think is the only, if we think about it that way, and we have political leaders who get elected who think about it that way. And I think if you're somebody who, if you're somebody on the political right, you have to look at who's more on the political right. I'm entering into di- dichotomy language again, but like if you're somebody who's more on the political right, seeing Ron DeSantis do what he's doing, you're like, yes, that is finally looks like a leader who's trying to lead his people toward the good by fighting back against these things. So I think, I think there's some hope in looking at our political landscape that actually there might be people who are interested in, in pursuing the good as a political leader. And, and, and here's the thing, the lie of the, the, the old lie of the enlightenment is finally being debunked, which is that you can have a value neutral system. There's no such thing as a value neutral system. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And I think that, I think that is a lie, which is finally, finally being shown to be not true. And it's and and the first and you know why people are noticing it 
we noted in our diocese, Diocese of Arlington in Loudoun County, right? My bishop spoke up very firmly against it, spoke up very strongly, right? And he even issued a document on transgenderism in response to what happened. It's very, very, very good. Um, it had in the schools, right? Parents saw in the school their kids were being taught values. And all of a sudden, the people are saying, wait, I thought this was a value neutral place. And all of a sudden, they realized 60, 70 years ago, the school wasn't a value neutral place. It was Judeo Christian values that were in the public schools 75, 80 years ago. The Ten Commandments were on the wall. The like p- people, they, there was there was an there was an attempt to order the formation of children, but then what happened? You had people who got elected, who said, "Well, there's no establishment of religion in this country. Why do these have to be the values that we have here? We can have our own values here." And guess what? It was all legal. It was all legal because it was this idea. Well, in America, we have a value neutral system. Which in many ways is true, but guess what? It doesn't work, and it can and it can never work. It can never work because you either have reasoned, authentic, natural orders structures that are ordered, or you have some form and some degree of chaos that's that's corruptive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. No, I think the the whole thing with the neutrality thing is. Um, this is what also gets interesting in the historical discipline, but in more wi- widely in the humanities in general, is it goes back and like part of my heart is very much with Leopold von Ranke, the V.S. Eingentlich evasion, like as it really was. And I will still stand by von Ranke's principle of empiricism in history, because I think mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. you get to Protestants and Catholics just using history to rip holes in each other's theological arguments there's mm-hmm. plenty of abuses that can happen because of that like you're you can you clearly have an agenda because there's a lot that's theologically at stake and it makes completely sense why you'd have an empiricist positivist mm-hmm. model that would come in and say look we're not going to allow biases to get a hold of ourselves and we're literally just going to see what the evidence mm-hmm. does. Mm-hmm. Now, yep, totally. That's totally true. And I totally get that. And there's totally something deep down in my heart that really definitely agrees with this. Yeah. Same. As same. Continued to do this thing. It's more and more clear that it is not a value neutral system, right? That it is, it's very much based upon unadorned and oftentimes unexplained theological principles Mm-hmm. that aren't interrogated or even up for interrogation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a multiplicity of different issues in the discipline. yes, yes. Um, recently it was like last last fall the um american the you know medieval academy of america came out yep. with a public statement saying that critiques of historians who are studying the middle ages who are studying race um, ethnicity and gender that essentially they said charges of presentism of using present issues with race and things of that nature. That, that sort of thing is not to be accepted and that's not acceptable in our discourse. What? Yeah. So they essentially said you cannot accuse what? Thing. that that's <laughs> it was like we defend our what? colleagues against accusations of presentism. That to me does not sound like <laughs> empiricist value neutral. System. It kind no. of sounds like you guys are coming down on one side of the aisle here and saying, don't critique them, which is interesting 
because I'm looking at a source which calls British people Old Testament Arabians. So I don't know how this works. And I don't know what I'm supposed to do looking at some of this other evidence that, again, I'm not well inclined into all of this, but. Right, right. Alter dialogue to this. And so this is the thing where the accusation against uh, the debunking of neutrality mm-hmm. really, I think this, I mean, the thing is, is that I think, and this is, this is the, like, I guess we'll say this as leftists, as liberals, the AOC types. Part of part of the um, their identity is never being the paragonic structure. That's part mm-hmm. of the strategy. It's it's never the one that mm-hmm. has power. They're never the ones that have power in a Foucauldian sense. They're never the mm-hmm. ones mm-hmm. establishing. Yeah. They're never the ones that are establishing the discourse. Right, right. right? They call never, themselves like, rebels. Never, they call themselves yeah, rebels. And that's part <laughs> of the power, that's part of the power system is right. to continually place yourself as the outsider. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, oh my gosh, did you guys hear about Hillsdale? <laughs> Mother Earth, like Hillsdale is one tiny place in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> Michigan, which is like counterbalanced by like five universities in uh, itself. Let alone, but they can't tolerate it. You can't, can't tolerate, tolerate it. it because you know, Hillsdale, like I can't believe they do that. And it's like they're they have one one ideological opinion. It's like, yo, what? Like, like what? Yeah. Where else have you guys been? Um, and so I, what was I going to say? I'm not as uh, on point as as you or Andrew on so many things. There has to be since okay. Here's the thing. Since they will never admit that they are the actual systems of power that have yep. the systems of power, and again, yep. I'm using the Marxist dialectic, but I think it is useful at points. No, no, sure. That oftentimes Republicans, or we'll now we're using the dialectic again of the right, mm-hmm. will at sometimes take that at face value. Yes. And yes. not understand that deconstructionism is an incredibly powerful force. Now, I don't want to make a Lord of the Rings reference because that's nerdy and homeschoolish. <laughs> but like, there is power in deconstructionism. And that's why I call Alistair McIntyre a deconstructionist mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. he has he has fully embraced the fact that there is a diet, there is a, an, a semblance of power with an mm-hmm. emotivist viewpoint that needs to be deconstructed before. Yes. Yes. And so right. I really think that whole neutrality beyond simply the body politic, but into the culture space itself needs to interrogate based along McIntyre and lines mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. why is this the good? Because mm-hmm. like, it's not that they're not, it's not, we talk about the good and people are like, what do you know what the good is? It's like, why do you know what the good is? What the good is, my dude. Right, like, right, oh, right, oh, right. oh, so you know what the good is? Like, right. so, so. Please tell me what epiphany dropped that <laughs> knowledge on you. I really want to know. Was it ayahuasca? Because that's demon shit, man. That's demon. <laughs> like that's not the good, my brother. That is like the evil. That I mean, it might help you out with football, and Rogers. But that's like that's not gonna do anything in the long term. A woman called Blue Earth, and she's gonna ruin your life. <laughs> All these other things, and I wish you'd retire. Um, but anyway, so but you get my point. Like we, oh. I understand that we do need to be wary of the di- the left right dichotomy. But mm-hmm. no, dude, what is more bougie than sitting around with academics eating Panera at ten dollars a pop, complaining about poor white British people who voted <laughs> in favor of Brexit? Like, please, please tell me that Karl Marx isn't just salivating in his grave over that dichotomy of like, yeah, yeah. Right, that's it. 
holes heads on spikes like <laughs> that's it revolution that's it like the only thing we have to lose is our chains let's go <laughs> like you know what I mean? like i don't know so this is this is this is my great frustration what am i even saying at this point no a lot of good things a lot of good things no um, but yeah i'm no. just saying we need to we the question i asked you about mm-hmm. how do you know what the good is can just mm-hmm. as easily under the right circumstances where you're not going to lose your job like if you're doing this podcast um is a legitimate question that can be asked as well mm-hmm. and that does need to be asked and that it needs to be interrogated with the same empiricist fierce fierceness mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that any atheist any christopher hitchens any richard mm-hmm. dawkins mm-hmm. would mm-hmm. take towards a theist and like right. rightfully so and the thing is and this is not to get triumphalistic but to get a little triumphalistic is it's a there's a little too much intellectual honesty of like, well, you know, you're that's a good point. So let's discuss. It. It's like, no, 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 no. no. This is the same question that needs to be shoved in your face again and again and again. Yeah. And right. Actually, do it without suffering professional right. consequences. Right. Right. How do you know this? Well, I just know it. Why do you know it? Right. You just literally got finished. You finished telling me that morality right. is a social construct. So <laughs> what are you coming up with? What right. understanding of morality and ethics are you receive? Have you received from on high? What golden mm-hmm. tablets with the spe- or golden <laughs> iPad with you know the you know the glasses of Mark Zuckerberg or Google Glass that you have read that comes up with this new understanding of morality? Like where does it come from? And it is well, you know, it's, and it's like okay, you're you're using a, an axiomatic teleologically based understanding of human nature, but you just got done saying that human nature doesn't exist. So. Yep. No, it's no, it's 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 the classic. It's the classic point that every again, C.S. Lewis, uh, Schindler in Politics of the Real, St. Thomas, Augustine, everybody who's thought about this for half a second has realized that in every human action, you are every human action is declarative of what the doer of the deed, what his conception of the good is and whether he lives up to that. Yep. And whether, and, and like, and sometimes like, yeah, like you fail to live up to what you think the good is and like, yep, I did that thing and I failed, but, but, but that's like the thing that, again, that's why your question is so good that we need to, we need to press on this to people who claim to be doing these things. Cause it's right and just right. Yeah. It's well, why, what's the, what is the good? I know what I think the good is. And I know why I think that. Um, and, uh, and, and, and what, what, what they think the good is, is as you say, they actually don't have they actually don't have a lot of answers to that question. I've heard one that I want to pose. Okay. Yeah. If you guys, the one, the, the one that I've heard as being the uh, uh, first principle of the modern liberal activist, reduce human suffering mm. has been time. Like I've heard that on many occasions, like what is the goal of this movement is to reduce human suffering, whether or not they achieve that goal. Right. I don't know, but right, 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 right. if you were to ask somebody, what is the liberal movement's goal? It's to reduce human suffering. And I've heard that a few times. That's actually the best answer I've ever heard to that. That's the best answer I've ever heard to that question. What is the good? The good is reducing human suffering. Um, yeah, I think, that yeah, the first thing that so first of all, like kudos to people who say that because um, I've never heard that. Never heard that. Um, mm-hmm. It's because it's actually a reflective response. Um, I think a lot of people are not not reflective. But um, my initial reaction is um, like one, um, not to be jaded or sound 
funny, but like, good luck. Secondly, like, um, like if that's your operating principle, then like you have an impossible task. Right. Right. And so, and I think that's one of the, and maybe that's one of the reasons why there is this, like such a, such we sense such aggression from them, why it's nothing's ever good enough. Right. Is because there's just a, well, no, people are still suffering. Um, um, and, um, that, so that, that, that actually makes a lot of sense, but but it's a completely utilitarian. No, no, that's what I was getting to. Because it's like, we would also agree. Yeah. And we think that reducing human suffering would be this. Very good. Yeah. Well, right. It would be this. It's like, okay, well then it's a matter of, because this is going to sound, let's, let's not use the Holocaust because that's not a great example, but like, let's use the whole lot of more. How do you know, have you gone through the intricacies of Stalin's policy towards the Ukrainians by starving them to death that you knew that in the large scheme, like not like, yeah, the Ukrainians themselves mm-hmm. did suffer. Mm-hmm. However, how do you not know on a larger principle, on a larger scale, on a larger calculation that that actually led to less human suffering? Everything right, precisely. Is, everything gets turned precisely. into a math pro- program where it's right. like punch in this action, get this answer. And that, first of all, is impossible to calculate. Like, I don't right. know what the, what the metric is for human mm-hmm. suffering. And also it's like, okay, so, you know, reduce human uh, suffering. And it's like, okay, so like I can take Tylenol, not have a headache. Okay, great. What if I'm lonely? Mm-hmm. What if, what if Netflix is creating like loneliness? What if porn is creating loneliness? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which it is right. Creating lo- right. Like, you know what, right. I mean? like right. what if isolate, like, what if like suffering can be so many different things and many times we ourselves are the um are the you know the result of our own suffering so as Camus might say the first philosophical question needs to be why don't you just kill yourself <laughs> that would end human suffering right. wouldn't it right like right. You know, well, this- i'm not again if you're listening to this and you are depressed please get help don't like listen right. to the podcast more we're just joking we're not joking but but like you get what i'm saying like yeah like yeah, the yeah, yeah. way to end human suffering is extinction well, and I th- you'll notice that that is the argument for the in- fringe environmentalists. Their goal is human extinction. Yes. Because- without question, without question. The other thing, Jordan Peterson said this on Joe Rogan this week. Um, Jordan Peterson was pointing. looking suit. He was wearing it. Yeah, he was wearing a strange suit. Uh, but um, this is this is no, this is- it's a fad that's got to go. But um, but but Peterson pointed out that like oh, there was a lot of attention on the. World Economic Forum meeting this year, right? Did everybody notice that? There was a lot of attention in the news on Davos last week, right? And um, and one of the things Jordan Peterson said he was noticing was like, well, all this environmental concern, and it sounds like, like from what they're saying, it sounds like poor people are the problem. See, class, and, class. Like, the only thing you like, have to lose is your chains. I'm just kidding. Yeah, no, but like, no, but like, no, no, no. But yeah. like Jordan Peterson was saying, like, what if we could, and like, they're like, what if we could just eliminate 350 million poor people? Oh, wow. Like, it's like, that's how Stalin thought about that. Right. Where it's like, oh, like, I don't need these. I don't, I don't need these people here. Like they can go like, uh, you know, but when, as soon as you start talking about the need, they, again, this is the whole population control debate. As soon as you say the world is overpopulated, by name your number then the immediate implication is well who and when are you planning on moving those people off yep like who's gonna do it and when and and how like if you say we're we're overpopulated right now by a billion people 
okay, well, who's going to – Who's going to give up their – Donald's not – So if your argument is stop having kids, which culture is going to give up their culture? Yep. Which one is going to end their line? Mm-hmm. And um, I guess, I mean, maybe if you're really into engineering this thing, you could be like, well, we could take some from this and this. And, but I can guarantee you. I have it. like a lot. But of equitably, it has to be the Americans and the in the European. Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, you know, cisgender white men, cisgender exactly. white men. So, yeah. I had that argument with a friend of mine who was a, a valid uh, Marxist in college. Mm-hmm. And he was pounding me over the head like peter there's human suffering in the banks and the you know oil companies it's all bad i'm like i was like okay listen so i i said okay just like you said andrew the next step of your plan is we're going to start putting bankers against the wall like are you prepared like because that's the next step in communism yes it's all yeah someone else is going up against the wall Somebody else is going up against the wall and he actually stopped and thought about it. And he actually, that was one of the fir- only times, in my, like one of the few times in my life where I had somebody kind of change their opinion about something because he was so wrapped up in this. Oh, we got to, you know, help people, the poor people, all this and that. He didn't stop to think, oh, wait, no. Yeah. Like <laughs> I couldn't do that and I wouldn't want to promote that. And he definitely moderated himself after that. I, I remember that. that was one of the more interesting conversations I've had. Yeah. Seen. It's like, yeah. No, like, okay, look at the French Revolution. Look at, yep. look at yep. Cambodia. Yep. Look at all of these places. Um, people end up dying. And it's, <laughs> yeah. it's either going to be your group or it's going to be somebody else's group. Yep. And yep. it's, uh, so, and, yeah, okay. Well, Sorry, and, and, and no, that's really, no, that was like super, super good. And, and it is interesting because, any claim, right? This is what Rusty Uvino, I feel like I've talked about this before, Rusty Uvino's book, Return of the Strong Gods, where he talks about the strong gods or any kind of thing that demand an absolute truth claim, right? Sure. Yep. But this is why- is really good that he wrote that this that like the left has also embraced the return of the strong gods. It's, yes. Like, yep. It's absolutely yep. true. Yep. yep. And, and no justice, no peace is invoking, <laughs> it is invoking a strong god. Yep. 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 It, it totally is. And, and, but he, but he points out that what has traditionally happened from these leftist revolutions right over the past couple centuries is is that people who make strong truth claims are totally threats they are threats to the system it is why in the french revolution they went after the the nuns like like carmelite sisters from all over france doing nothing but sitting in their convents praying they never leave all they are is they're sitting there in their convents they never leave and they are carted out and executed, right? I mean, it's because because they cannot be tolerated because they stand for a strong truth claim about the dignity of the human person and that there is a God, right? And like all these all these things that the French Revolution was like, these things cannot be, these cannot be born. Um, and you see the same thing in communism, right? The same thing in communism where any, any strong truth claim uh, of to, to God and to the church or is totally, totally verboten to the state, yeah. totally verboten to the state. Um, same thing under Nazism, right? Not only the Jews, but also Catholic priests and bishops, um, religious sisters. I mean, I mean, I think that's another, I remember I Googled just, just a very total footnote. I Wikipedia, the Holocaust last week. Cause I was, I, I was trying to remember what the exact number was of people who died. And I was, I was, it was, it was gratifying to me to see that um, 
there were other people like because usually people think obviously the most people were the Jewish people to die, yeah. obviously, and they were the main target of the Holocaust in so many ways. Um, um, and six million, it's right, six million is the number I think of of Jewish people who were murdered. Um, and but it was, but I thought it was cool that the Wikipedia article also included um, that there were five million others, including large numbers of of Catholics uh, who were who were who were killed, Catholics and other Christians too. Um, but I think yeah, but they're like because there's a strong truth plan that stood athwart uh, the Nazi machine, right? And like this is not this is not to be born. Um, um, so it's, yeah, it's a, you know, this is okay. I think we need it. Thomas, do you mind if I try and like connect what Andrew said to what you were saying before? Yeah. I mean, like, okay. we, what is the agenda? There is. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so going back to authority. Yeah. Yeah. When the jackboots are coming through your town. Yeah. Do you resist against all odds? Yeah. And do you, like, is it better to de- die beneath an Irish sky, essentially? Yeah, yeah. And it's, I I mean, that's one of my favorite lines of almost any song. I mean, that, Oh, yeah, it's, that's a, it's like, a great oh, line. It's gosh, a great line. It is so poetic. Oh, my it God. It's so good. It is so good. Yeah. I, I think it's very, very difficult to give a firm answer yeah. when you're not in that circumstance. I think it's really hard because I think that because I think that that's one of the things that. Um, so I'm just going to just to quote, um, right, uh, famous, famous Protestant Christian. I forget. I forget his name now, uh, who said when they came for, you know, when they came for the Jews, I didn't say anything. When they came for the priest, I didn't say anything. You know, when they came for the homosexuals. I didn't say anything when they, and then, uh, and when they came for me, there was no one to say anything for me, you know? So there's that, that comes to mind. So that's, that's one. And the other one is Solzhenitsyn, right? When Solzhenitsyn talks about, um, I think it's in the Gulag archipelago where he talks about how everybody who was arrested by the communists, almost everybody, he said, everybody, but one lady, he said it was everybody, but one, when they were arrested by the communists, they didn't say anything. Right. They just went with the cops because they thought all of them thought this is a mistake. I didn't do anything because they hadn't done anything. Yeah. Right. And they, they all thought this is a mistake. I, I didn't, uh, I didn't do anything. And the process will work itself out. Right. Like I'll, I'll, I'll get appeal. Right. He said there was only one lady. He said there was only one lady who, when they came to arrest her, she screamed and screamed and screamed and she lost her mind. Yeah. I haven't done anything. I'm being arrested for no reason. And the cops left and left her alone for mm-hmm. two days. Yeah. And then they came back in the middle of the night. In the middle of the night, they came back. Not in the middle of the day. They come in the middle of the day before. They came in the middle of the night that time. And they knocked down her door. And they dragged her out. And they carried her off. But everybody who he interviewed in the gulag, for uh, everyone he asked about it, Everybody but that one woman said they went willingly, um, and it's interesting. Just to just to actually, this this really really struck me. Um, I was reading uh, when I was reading uh, Politics of the Real earlier. This is a really fascinating line from um, Arnett. Is it is it Hannah Arnett? Yeah. So just really quickly, you this is all related to what you're saying, Peter. This okay. is just really this is a really a powerful line. According to Hannah Arnett, politics became totalitarian the moment 
the question of what is real ceases to be a concern of politics. Quote, this is what she said. The ideal subject of totalitarian rule is not the convinced Nazi or the convinced communist, but people for whom the distinction between fact and fiction, i.e. the reality of experience, and the distinction between true and false, i.e. the standards of thought, no longer exist. End quote. A post-truth civilization is well nigh on a totalitarian one. In response, planning yet another strategic battle in the culture wars is an exercise in futility, a recapitulation of the problem rather than a gesture of resistance. The problem with the culture wars is that they take for granted that the big questions regarding the nature and destiny of man are simply matters of culture, which is to say something to be fought over inside the sphere of civil society, following the rules of civility and respect established by the state. But if the nature and destiny of man is not the res publica, then there is no res publica. There could only be sovereign power and bare life. I think that's really, really, really powerful that it's when it's when totalitarianism happens, right? When like, and you see the communists in Russia did this so well with a break down people's very ability because of the propaganda everywhere and the micro control of the state over all these aspects of people's lives. You break down people's ability to even know what's true. Like they just don't even know because they're they're The information they're being given is so often contradictory. Yeah. We're at war with so-and-so. No, we're not there. In 1984 shows this brilliantly, right? 1984 brilliantly shows you almost the human person almost like sinks into double think. Because they're just trying to like live their life like and and receive reality and know what's true. And yeah. so like the date, like totalitarian governments are able to really take control when you have an entire population that has no idea what's true and has no real ability or standard of thought by how to judge that. And that's like a really ominous passage thinking about our own time and culture, right? When wow. so like, what's the definition of a woman? Right. What's the definition what's the, of a vaccination or what's the definition right, of a disease? Right. What yeah, what is a mask? Is it effective? Is it not? Right. Like, I, right. I, I what you were just saying just reminded me of like how confused the first yeah. six months of the pandemic yep. was. Yep. And how effective some governments were at entirely shutting down yes. the entire population. Yep. Yep. Like, right. And yeah. Man. Yep. And, and the World Economic Forum, right, yeah. you know, Carl Schwab of the World Economic Forum, right, he said this was a great experiment in, in what happened because he said we now know. He said this last year. Yeah. He said we now know that if we tell entire populations to remain in their homes, They'll they do will do it. Yep. And it's not even – this the scary thing about – what what scared me about the pandemic, I mean, obviously mm-hmm. getting COVID for a while, I was pretty worried about that. After it became pretty clear that as a young guy, I was going to yeah. be fine. Yeah, yeah. I didn't have any grand. I don't have any grandparents, so I wasn't necessarily worried about them or mm-hmm. my mm-hmm. parents. So, like, there was stuff like that, right? Mm-hmm. What scared me about the pandemic, though, primarily, was the double think that got pushed in your face mm-hmm. so blatantly 
Because Mm -hmm. if we all remember around May, beginning of May, there were protests. It wasn't the George Floyd protests. It was protests against the lockdowns. There was a lot of these protests. Yes. Yes. Yes, That's right. For this. I do. And it was. I'd forgotten. <laughs> no. Yeah. Do you, you now, no, now that you're you, making, I'm making your point. I forgot. Yeah. You're, you I'm forgot making about your point this. for you. I'm making your there point for you. There were protests against the lockdowns. You got memory old. And the media machine was unilaterally yep. calling them all having death wish. They want to pass COVID to everyone now. Was, were they actually passed? I mean, probably some. I mean, maybe not completely because they were outside. Mm-hmm. Who knows exactly the scientific aspect mm-hmm. to it? Probably not. Yeah. It's outside. Dude, we'll that. you're scaring me now. I'm getting what scared. What happens now. then at the end of May, George Floyd gets murdered by yep. Derek Chauvin. Right. And because that is a legitimate protest in the eyes of the media. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, mm-hmm. it doesn't spread COVID anymore. Right, 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 right. <laughs> Regardless of the protest, let's just, just for a second, just for a second, just say yeah, yeah, protest yeah, yeah. A and protest B and leave right. all of the politics out of it completely. And just yeah. say, you have one group of people that yeah. are protesting one thing and you have another group yeah. of people that are protesting oh my one, gosh. the second thing. And oh. the apparatus like second thing, but does not like the first thing. Oh my gosh. The first thing. And within three weeks, <laughs> says thing two is okay. Yeah. Oh that is gosh. terrifying. That is it terrifying. Is. It totally is. When you like, no, and it, it's just like right there. It's right there yep. in front of your eyes. Yep. One of them is you literally want to murder your grandmother mm-hmm. by protesting. The other, which is the exact same physical action, mm-hmm. but even higher because there's more people out on the streets, mm-hmm. is somehow not spreading covid or it's yeah or 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 it's well systematic racism is also a public health emergency mm-hmm. if you want to make an argument that systematic racism leads to poverty which leads to bad health diets which leads to whole like heart conditions which leads mm-hmm. to fine mm-hmm. but did you see how many steps i took to got to that it's yeah, not yeah. the same as someone sneezed next to me i caught their germs i died Mm-hmm. It, it's mm-hmm. two completely right. Different, yep. right. Completely right. different things. You, yep. you're, you're equivocating here. It's if if systematic racism is a public health emergency, it is not a health emergency in the same way that COVID is. Mm-hmm. Quite literally, it's, it's it's not. You can't you can't argue that. Yeah. And the fact that it yeah. went so quickly towards this has to be done and this yeah. is necessary. If you want to say if they if 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 media types had wanted to say there is the risk of covid, but it doesn't matter, I would at least respect that. Because right. That right. would at least admit that you're right. not just like knee jerking the quote unquote right. science, whatever the, that means. Right. right. Around <laughs> to fit to fit which protest you want to evaluate or, you know, exalt or denigrate. But mm-hmm. the fact that it just went from they pass covid to it's not going to pass covid. Mm hmm was terrifying. Yep. Mhm. Terrifying. But mm-hmm. so Oh, where do we So I, I think we've done a good job of like attacking it from a bunch of angles, but I do think this question remains standing. Yeah, I was just thinking that. I, I think, go ahead. I think I think we're on the same page Peter, but I was I'm just not, thinking I think Okay. Page. So I just that I don't know if I mean this world is like 
I may have said this on the podcast and because, and I'll, I will freely recant that this position if it is heresy. Yeah, it probably is um, <laughs> that I have been unable to come up with a resolution for situations like the uh, like the Middle East, like Mexico's mm-hmm. northern mm-hmm. areas, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. any complicated issue, Northern Ireland um, and Ireland in general, other than mm-hmm. Mike makes right. I have mm-hmm. yet to mm-hmm. like the authority lies in the person who is able to maintain power. That is, mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. can't come up with one yeah. other than that. In so, those areas, can we talk about the cartel yes. issue because I think that's one of the more interesting. So, well, oh, hang on, let's, let's oh, hang on, yeah. let's, but let's like this is a matter of principle we're getting at here. So that's yeah. I think that's a good I think that's a good place to kind of stick and yeah. because so so yeah in circumstances where there isn't even concord. Right. Right. In circumstances where there does not appear to be any legitimate claimants to authority um, that don't go back like a long, long way or like there's like not a good way to establish. How do you. Yeah. How do you how do you deal with that? I I mean, I think. That's really, really tough. That's so tough. I mean, and and, and I, I, I hear you. I, I think you're right that we can't just say might makes right. We can't just say that. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that what you would see, it seems to me, is that authority, going back to what authority is, is like thor- authority is an expression when it, okay, the person who has authority, the person or the persons who have authority wield that authority as an expression of the people right. who they like and and that's and that's regardless of where authority comes from right like even if you want to say divine right of kings or something right even if you want to make that argument right and i'm not i'm not making that argument but like if you want to make that argument um the the king then acts as the people like the people act in the king right yeah. and the same thing is true in representative government and it's like it's even more like it's more obvious there because the people those people are elected to act as you're acting as me so i'm sending you to congress to act as me and then a bunch of people say that to the guy or girl and then they go okay so an authority acts on behalf of the polity yeah okay those places are are, are interesting because the formation of a polity is kind of in question. Like what is the, like who's, who's part of what polity and, and what, what kind of political body or bodies are there? Yep. It seems to me that, that the only kind of just resolution would be more or less, this would be totally spitball, um, is something to the effect of um, having like it seems to me it's almost like a political leader or leaders who rise up and they and they they form they 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 bring together and we see this throughout history at times right where you have like people who are influential as a person and they're able to bring together different people to form a community mm-hmm. and then they act as the protector and the uh, leader of that community and then that community then maybe can so 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 for example we see, um, you know, we, we see, we see in Ireland, right. This attempt on the part of Michael Collins to be that guy, right. We see this attempt on the part of Michael Collins to be like, I'm going to form people around me. I'm going to form a polity around me. We're going to, and we're going to fight back. And, and because we're being oppressed 
And then kind of the people of Ireland kind of more or less coalesce around that. And then there's established as part of it. Now that's not Mike makes right in that situation, right? It's not like I'm strong, so I'm getting my way. It's I have brought together these different people and we have, uh, we formed a kind of political body here, right? And it's not, and we haven't coerced the people who are under us to be part of this. We've established it through violence in the sense that we've pushed the British away, but we haven't, when I hear might makes right, I, I, I like in my mind, at least that's like, I am forcing the people underneath me to accept my authority because I'm stronger than they are. Right. We're going to that's kind of what I'm hearing. Example though, that government he forms lasts all of how long well, no, but 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 it it uh, but it eventually lasts, right? It eventually True, lasts. After war, I mean, they did have to exert violence against other against... Irishmen. To, I mean, there oh, I were. See, I see. I see. I see. Yeah, there because but but war. I think that there still was no, no. That's true, but I think that once you have again, once you have established in laws that are seeking to establish concord and peace, um, once you've once this political because like there's a civil war. When some of the Irishmen, not the majority, but some of the Irishmen don't want to, like, we're not in. Yeah. We're not in. And it's like, well, wait, like, no, like, no, we we really have pretty much established this. And now, and this is, and, and, and like, we're the ones who were represent, we were acting on your behalf mm-hmm. and you're not, like, it's a really tough question, but like, like, you're not being actively oppressed. And they would say our, our brothers in Northern Ireland are still being oppressed. Right. But you like, I think you would have to say, I think it seems to me you would have to say those people, including Michael Collins, acted as authority figures for this polity and decisions were made. And Concord was established with maybe some bad people to get that. And I think that you can't just you have to have a damn good reason. You have to have a really good reason to then keep fighting. And I don't think the Irish rebels at that point have it. So that's kind of my, I I know I'm kind of like maybe fudging the numbers a little bit there, but that's kind of my initial thought is like, not so much somebody establishing by their own strength that they're in charge of these people now, but somebody who through their own personality, their own connections and their own, I mean, really charis- uh, charisma and their own kind of force of, of who they are. They kind of, they kind of bring people together around them right. um, and, and establish and establish a community that then he's able to protect people and he's able to kind of function there. Um, that seems to me to be kind of a best case scenario. I don't know what that looks like all over the place, but that kind of, to me, seems like a, a way of, let me, ask, let me yeah. ask you even spice your question and move away from, the obvious bias that all of us have <laughs> toward the, <laughs> toward the Irish. Yes, <laughs> very obvious bias. We all have when does the Sinaloan cartel become a legitimate government? Oh, that is like a fascinating thing. Um, when does it? When does it just become a legitimate government? Yeah, I, I, because I they're not legitimate because they killed people. Like, excuse me. No, no, no. Twentieth no. century. Like, what governments did? No. Like, yeah, like no. the interesting part where I'm talking about private versus public authority. Like, when does it, when is a point where they were running sections of Mexico and you're just like, hey, that's just there. No, they're a public authority. They are a public authority. Yeah. I, I actually think, I actually think the cartels have been a public authority for a long time. Sure. Um, and and I, I think, I think the idea that and should just- the Mexican government, so then the question is, should 
the U.S. or the Mexican government fight against that public authority? I think you're totally within. Now that that becomes a prudence question. Yeah, uh, that becomes I mean, like, who is it that recently said they want to declare war on the cartels here in the States? I think Dan Crenshaw, if that's who you're thinking of, he was. I think maybe Dan Crenshaw. Dan Crenshaw is literally just like he's, he's John a cartoon McC- character. Isn't he's, he? No, he's John McCain. Like, John yeah, McCain he's kind of our him. generation, John McCain. Yeah, John McCain had <laughs> yeah. the issue with his arms. He has the issue with his eye. It's like, and he's a war yeah. veteran. Like it's, it's all, and he's a hawk. It's like right along the line. Yeah, yeah. Well, so but actually was so just I want to say just like. I just want to point like you guys may already know this, but I just want for our listeners like back in during Trump's administration, a group of um, fundamentalist Latter-day Saints who live in Mexico and they've been living there since Utah outlawed polygamy. Their families have been living down there. Okay. Um, A group of them were traveling back to their compounds or like their ranches or ranchers down there. And they were ambushed and men and women and children were all slaughtered in their cars. Oh my and there gosh. were Americans also in these cars because they have families in Utah. So cartels killed them all. And then Trump apparently was pretty close to sending like the Marines. To go, like, <laughs> oh, no. Like they basically, oh. there was, I, from what I've read, there was a pretty serious argument about like Mexican sovereignty and like, are these guys oh. narco terrorists and should we go take them out? Like, well, because yeah. like, here's the question. If that was a government, like if that was Canada, Oh, Oh yeah. yeah. Know we're at war. We're at war. Yeah, <laughs> we're, 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 we're doing it. Like you can't just, yeah. And, right. and so, but then you're like, okay, well let's principle of subsidiarity will be the Mexican federal police. I know. Right. No, like that's, that's not going to do. But they can't deal with it. No, but that's the yeah, subsidiarity. We're saying whatever. Would say, so, right. Right. So according to the principle of subsidiarity, God has ordained American dominance in the Western. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like, then you're kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I'm no, not saying I, it would be a good thing, but like if, yeah, I yeah, don't know, it's, just, it's an odd, it's an odd scenario when you think yeah. about it. It's almost a little bit like the Italian cities. It's like, okay, who's the legitimate, really the legitimate government? Point? No, no. I, I, yeah. And I think there's times where there's times, unfortunately in history when it's, 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 it's pretty clear that it's very difficult to ascertain if there's any legitimate authority here. Are there anybody in this circumstance who's doing anything that looks like what a legitimate authority is supposed to do? And in, and in Mexico right now, I think the answer is largely no. Um, uh, one of my seminary friends here is from Mexico. I lives just down the hall from me. And he's like, like I asked, I was talking to him just the other day about this. And I was asking this question. I was like, so like, who's the, like, what's legitimate authority in Mexico? And he was like, who knows? <laughs> he's just like he's like yeah he's like he's like he's like the level of, he was telling me he said the level of corruption is so bad in the government and then he said there's um what did he say he said uh um oh he was saying this was really funny he was saying that he had family members he was saying that there was somebody in his family who was saying like who just like loves trump who just like loves trump like like somebody from mexico yeah. who, like loves trump and she wants and she wants trump to like declare war on the mexican cartels and she was saying how like yeah like we just need trump like this is a woman who's like born and raised in mexico right and like now she's in she's a naturalized american now and she's like let's go and he was like whoa 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 like like it's just like because like people in mexico like i think a lot of the people in mexico are sick and freaking tired of it they're like oh it's it's horrific. it's it's crazy yeah oh my gosh i like i man so I, I want to just pull this kind of into the historical context as well. It is not that far back in the past 
that the U.S. was doing this sort of, like the Spanish Mex the Spanish American War in Cuba. Mm-hmm. They're like Spain, Spain, like our our rationale. They sunk our ship, but <laughs> leading up to it, out. sunk our ship. But leading up to it, they were um, the U.S. was like, oh, they're treating the Cuban natives terribly. We want to make them like they were using all this same rhetoric that mm-hmm. we use in the Middle East. The mm-hmm. democracy <laughs> will continue until morale improves. <laughs> exactly. Yes. So, and when so to this day. There are still calls at, in the United Nations and Western, like Canada, U.S., even Mexico, kind of, to um, intervene in Haiti. There are serious mm. discussions mm. underway for there to be a U.S.-led mm. peace thing in Haiti. Yeah, Haiti's in bad shape. It is. It that is a country entirely run by gangs. Like there is yeah. no semblance yeah. of authority there. Yep. Yeah. The president got assassinated. I know, I know. A Western, know. A Western Hemisphere president got assassinated in his house. Yeah. Right? Insane. You so, know what we should do in Mexico? We should fast and furious 2.0 this. <laughs> find like good people to give the guns to. That's right. Oh my gosh. It's simple. We just blood wound. I'm just going to talk to that. Just send even more. Just send more. We made the mistake. We sent it to the wrong people. Now we're going to send it to the right <laughs> The right, the right satanic. Libertarians are gonna be like, "You realize that if we decriminalize heroin and methamphetamines, like that won't be a corridor for drug anymore." It's like, gosh, okay, that is such okay. Really interesting YouTube. We have gone really long, but like this is a great. We we actually we should wrap it up. I have enjoyed this so thoroughly. This is why we have to get together like annually and like because because like like I just. For the past 20 minutes, all I've wanted is to be with you guys, yeah. like having a cigar, having a bourbon, like, because this conversation could, should go till two in the morning, Ooh. but it's going to have to, it's going to have to draw to a close at some point. Sorry, go ahead, Mar. Yeah, because I got to edit it all. <laughs> no, 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 it was Zinmi, you were saying something. Zinmi, you were saying yeah, something. Yeah. I'm just going to say in response to the person who says that we need to just liberalize all of our drug laws so that the cartels won't have any money. I want to just say that is 100%. There was a really good video, and I want to say it was either w, um, Wall Street Journal or The Economist. I forget which one it was, but it was a really great video breaking down how the cartels, the U.S. is no longer their main um, market. Really? Europe. The Belgian port in um, is that Antwerp, Antwerp is one of the hottest places for drugs to be flowing right now. Really? Because U.S. Wow. interdiction is so effective and it is so expensive for the cartels and the Europeans are not as good at interdicting the drugs that are going over there. And there's a huge appetite for it. So it is shift. Now it's still coming to the U S obviously, but a lot of it has shifted over to Europe. So it's just, and if it's not drugs, it's going to be prostitution. It's going to be guns. It's going to be whatever makes them money. It doesn't matter what the product is. It's whatever makes people money is what these mafias and cartels are going to be dealing in. Sure. Whether it's protection rackets, whether it's whatever. So that I just, it, yeah, it's very naive to be like, well, let's just liberalize mm. everything. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Well, my words. covered a lot of ground. My you words did. of wisdom are at the end of this anarchy. <laughs> anarchy. <laughs> we need anarchy. Uh, <laughs> the only good government is a government that's not there. Anarchy. <laughs> we need to go back to our primitive hunter gatherer roots. Uh, uh, even those were patriarchal thomas even those were patriarchal let's not let's not look care. man i want to live with the people who took down woolly mammoths not so bad <laughs>
slugging away at their computer, their nine to five. Like, <laughs> me a woolly mammoth, die trying. <laughs> I just want to get mauled by a woolly mammoth. That's <laughs> just like, I want a saber just I can't take modern living anymore. I don't even know what I'm asking for at this point. <laughs> My whole bloodline has led up to this, and it's a. <laughs> No, no, um, I'm bloodline. My words of wisdom, uh, pray the rosary and keep up the hope. That's mine. Yeah, dude. Yeah, keep up the hope. Um, homily at the seminary this week. My parting words of wisdom are not my homily, but a priest here at the seminary gave a homily this week in which he um, just very, very, very briefly and succinctly, he just laid out the victories that God won in apparent defeat all through the Old Testament. Um, the, uh, you know, the death of Abel, the uh that abraham being called out of ur the uh the the sacrifice quote-unquote of isaac uh the chosen people in egypt all the way up through the time of the judges the babylonian exile everything and all of the ways in which in the midst of total darkness in the midst of in the midst of seemingly catastrophic defeat god was working his victory for his people that led up to the incarnation and then of course ultimately victory of christ in the cross in his moment of death and the point of the homily was that even now and the priest like was talking about like everything around us right now is dark the world is dark everything is seems like it's like everything feels like it's against us everything feels like it's going wrong but we have to remember that in this darkness in the societal decay and decadence that we see and he did use that word decadence said in the societal decay and decadence that we see god is winning his victory even now and we have and so just like trust and keep the faith because he is winning his victory even in the midst of societal uh erosion and chaos so that's words of wisdom from a good priest at the seminary from his homily yesterday i like that a lot thank you yeah sweet cheers boys cheers